Shem Hashem Naseh V'Natzliach, Shul Torah, Bukhim Abayim, we are back here on our Wednesday night. Stamp the Rabbi, where after some Divrei Torah, Be'ezrat Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us the Siyat Dishmaya to uh, deliver these words as uh, he wills it uh, to the best of our ability is not enough. We always need HaKadosh Baruch Hu for everything. And Be'ezrat uh, Hashem will uh, be able to do it. And then after that, you guys ask some questions. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us the answers. Uh, tonight's uh, shiur will be for a refuah shlema for Orit uh, Bat Esther, uh, Yaakov Ben Kochava, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, uh, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Avimori David Ben Esriah, Imimorati Doris Bat Jora, uh, and also for a, the Atzlacha Rabav, Marsha Bat Julia, Aida Bat Marsha, Samuel Ben Marsha, Sephas Ben Marsha, Alexander Ben Marsha, and Louis Ben Marsha. And all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahais that continue to do the will of Hashem and continue to learn with us and get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu each and every single day. Um, to uh, give you guys a little bit of a uh, brief update, uh, some things that are going on. I know that some of you are asking if I could just throw names onto the list and add more and more names. But, uh, you know, each one of the uh, uh, people that um, is on the list, typically somebody that is uh, continuously sponsoring and helping us in many, many different ways. Uh, it's not necessarily that we're uh, chasing money, but uh, just simply if we took every single name that everybody would send to us, it would be 25 minutes just of mentioning names and no time for the shoe. Uh, so, and again, at the same token, especially you have to uh, uh, make sure that people uh, do uh, contribute in one way or another uh, in whatever way you can, since we don't charge for anything. So uh, if anybody wants to uh, help us and uh, at the same token, uh, wants to have their names uh, uh, mentioned in the shiul, you could uh, go to uh, bhchizuk.org uh, or you can go to the Be'ezrat Hashem website and sponsor a shiul. There are three levels of sponsorship uh, and uh, you could sponsor one of the shiuls. One is $1,500, one I think is $3,000, another one is $4,500 uh, to help us uh, you know, continue doing what we're doing. And somebody's saying, wait a minute, you're just making a shiul out of your house, you're not, uh, why would it cost uh, $4,000 to sponsor such a shoe? Because despite the fact uh, of me making the shoe out of the house, it doesn't mean that it's just me. We have uh, almost uh, over 70 people on a team uh, and a, uh, a budget of over $100,000 a month that uh, goes out to continue running the organization. Uh, whether it's for graphics, for the movie production, for uh, helping uh, people, for running the, uh, the kolels, Baruch Hashem, two kolels. Uh, one we have uh, uh, with uh, Rav Shavit as the Rosh Kolel, one as the uh, uh, Kolel by Rav Gidon Ben Moshe. So Baruch Hashem, we have over 30 Avrechim, 31 Avrechim to be exact, uh, which Baruch Hashem are all Tzadikim, Kedoshim, and we actually just got news uh, this uh, past week that uh, our own dear Rosh Kolel Rav Shavit completed his uh, Dayanut, completed his Dayanut, uh, so which is uh, obviously a huge undertaking over 20 years of uh, dedication to, uh, to get to this level, Baruch Hashem. And we have, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the Avrachim, uh, rest of the Avrachim are all on their way to becoming Dayanim, uh, and all of them are in the, already the, uh, uh, the latter part. So Be'ezot Hashem will have many Dayanim coming to the world soon uh, to help Am Yisrael get closer to Hashem and uh, be Dayanim it. 
So, of course, to support all of this costs a fortune, and uh, we need as much help from you guys as possible, uh, especially those of you that can contribute on a regular basis. You know, it's a, if you contribute, whether it's $100 a month or $500 a month, or simply just your ma'asel, uh, just a ma'asel that, uh, you know, you make, Hashem gives you 100% of your income, you take 10%, you dedicate it to the Torah. Uh, with our organization, Baruch Hashem, you have the best of all worlds. You have Kiruv, you have helping the poor, uh, especially poor Avrechim, and uh, you also have Kolels, you have Torah itself. Uh, so uh, for anyone out there that is uh, interested, you're all uh, welcome to do it. Uh, last but not least, uh, just last night we uh, released our new newsletter. For those of you that uh, speak Hebrew, you have uh, my weekly write-up of the weekly parasha. Uh, but also we have the uh, new cups, uh, that uh, the Skula cups, uh, which are absolutely beautiful. We got from Eretz Yisrael. Uh, anyone that wants to uh, have an addition uh, to their Shulchan Shabbat, uh, yeah, certainly should uh, get one of them, but uh, also it's just a, uh, it is a school for anyone that knows how to do it. So you could look up the details on our website store, uh, as well as the newsletter that was released uh, last night. If you're not getting uh, our emails, uh, then uh, let us know. I mean, if you've registered for the, uh, you know, for the, the write-up that uh, we send once a week typically, and you're not getting it, uh, check your spam because many times people uh, find our uh, uh, you know our newsletter and on spam because Baruch Hashem we have a uh, significant list uh, of over five hundred thousand people Baruch Hashem uh, on the list so many times uh, the uh, the emails will go to a st- spam folder when you're sending a half a million emails at a time it uh, tends to be coded that way uh, or it happens but either way uh, if you look at your spam you'll find us there. And if not, just send us an email to let us know, and we'll register you again. Uh, so, Be'ezot Hashem, we'll now continue with the, uh, the key part of what we're here to do, which is to learn Torah, Be'ezot Hashem. We have, here in the exile, we have Parashat Emor. Parashat Emor is full of Kedusha, full of Torah. It's a, uh, it goes from one end to the other. And of course, Be'ezot Dishmaya, we would like to uh, connect the two ends, uh, the parasha starts talking about the issues of the Kohanim, how they have restrictions of who they can be with. They're not like regular people that can simply marry a, uh, a kosher Jew, but rather they have to marry a specific type of Jewish woman. Uh, but aside from that, we, uh, we have uh, at the end of the parasha the very famous story of the blasphemer. And of course, we always uh, know from Chazal that everything that is next to each other there is a specific reason why Kadosh Baruch Hu decreed for it to be that way, because the Torah doesn't have a uh, everything in order. You know, many times when people first start learning Torah, they uh, tend to get confused because they say, wait a minute, how can this happen if this already happened? Or how could that happen if that didn't happen? The Torah is not in order. A, uh, when you are talking about a, uh, the, the parashot itself, they're not in uh, the order of time of when certain things happen. There are certain things that uh, are written early in a Torah that actually happen later on, and vice versa. Certain things that are mentioned later on in the Torah that are uh, uh, mentioned early on. Like, for example, the story of the, uh, of the blasphemer uh, is something that uh, you see in this week's parasha. But then, if you uh, fast forward 
and uh, you go to uh, a Sefer Bamidbar, uh, Sefer Bamidbar, uh, you'll actually see uh, that there is a second part of the story of another sinner, uh, the uh, uh, the Mikoshesh Etzim, uh, the one the, the wood gatherer. This all happened uh, at the same time, uh, one after another. And, and the reason why uh, it's uh, mentioned is because there is enough kamina. There is a uh, uh, a uh, an actual reason of why this is mentioned here. Uh, and uh, there's a question in regards to uh, to what the connection is to the wood gatherer, which Bezat Hashem we may get to later on tonight. So anyway, the question is here: uh, you know, why are the Kohanim uh, obligated to marry only a uh, you know a specific type of person? Where you see that uh, you know a Jew is obviously supposed to marry another Jew. If a Jew marries a non-Jew, they lose their share of the wall to come. Uh, today I saw that there was a uh, headline of an article. I didn't waste my time to actually read the whole article, just the first uh, few uh, uh, lines. And uh, there is a uh, uh, um, shock and awe in the uh, conservative movement, a conservative, they still call themselves Jewish, conservative movement of rabbis within the conservative movement defying the conservative rules. Of what? What rules? I mean, they still actually have rules. What rules are they they're violating? They're violating the rules by now. They're allowing to, ma- uh, to marry Jews with Gentiles. Just like the reform I've been doing for many, many years since their inception. The conservative always distinguished themselves uh, from, the, uh, from the reform, even though they're both heretics, even though they both violate Shabbat, even though they both have gone down the tubes throughout the generations, especially in the last 50 years, where the head of the conservative movement in Yerushalayim is a hope, a openly homosexual, but they had one thing, one leg to stand on, where they said, at least, we don't marry the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, that's no more. Now they're officially marrying Jews and Gentiles, and a few a few of the leaders within the conservative movement, one notably made uh, uh, from Las Vegas, uh, said, wait, if we marry Jews and Gentiles, then there's no difference between us and the Reform. There was never really a difference between you and the Reform. There was never really a difference between you and an idol worshiper because you are distorting the Torah and changing it to your likings. And it's not a surprise for anyone that's looking from the right perspective. But needless to say, you, uh, you have a world where the uh, uh, Jews are marrying Gentiles without necessarily thinking twice about it no different than what happened at the time of Germany. Anyone that has read a little bit of history about Am Yisrael, some of the books uh, about what transpired before the Holocaust. Many people have spent time looking at what happened during the Holocaust, but there was also Am Yisrael before the Holocaust. And you see how the great sages of Am Yisrael screamed foul and tried to warn Am Yisrael of, the, uh, of, of what's going to come if they continue sinning. No different than what the prophets, Jeremiah and Yechezkel and Zechariah and the rest of the prophets did, and Isaiah uh, screaming and trying to tell people to wake up and stop sinning, stop going against the Shem, stop intermarrying. In Germany, it got so ugly that Jews were not only marrying Gentiles, but they were openly uh, making it a, uh, a, a thing to do to convert to Christianity itself. Literally, the intermarriage was through the roof. The only other time where intermarriage was ever worse in history is today, the day that we're living in a Shemishmo. As we get closer and closer 
to Mashiach, we get closer and closer to the 50th gate of Tuma, as the Or Chaim HaKadosh said in Parashat Shmot. Now, the, uh, the problem with this whole intermarriage situation is that simply, when a Jew marries a Gentile, if, it, uh, if a Jewish man marries a Jewish woman, his kids are not Jewish. And uh, if a Jewish woman marries a uh, non-Jewish man, her kids are still Jewish, halachically speaking, but of course, it's very unlikely that they're going to live Jewish life since our own, their own parent did not live a Jewish life. And many times this leads to many problems. There was a, uh, 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 lots of corruption done before the Holocaust by the Zionists, you know, that were anti-religious, anti-Torah, but when it served them right, all of a sudden they, uh, they would do things. One example that I recently read in the, uh, the book, The Transfer, that talks about some of the corruption by the Zionists before the Holocaust to steal money from Am Yisrael to uh, uh, work together with the Nazis in order to line their pockets is simply when they had one uh, very successful businessman, Melkin, wanting to uh, join their board, they found that there was one flaw. He was a leader, he was powerful, he had all of the uh, great ideas, but there was one problem. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't Jewish, but he was an avid Zionist. Why? Because his father, his father was Jewish, but his mom was not Jewish. So you can't have this guy join a Jewish organization if he's not Jewish. So what did they do? They converted him. Now you would think, oh, this is great. Uh, why is that a bad thing? Because it was a fake conversion. Because the guy was, uh, is, is uh, documented as still a member of the church literally less than a month before they converted him. So the reality is, is that when it comes to Judaism, there, a person has to understand is that if you want to lie, you're only lying to yourself. You're only lying to yourself. There is no lying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There is no showing up to Shemaim and say, I tried. There's no such thing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu already knows every single thing you've ever done and every single thing you've ever th- thought of and every intention you had behind it. And when a person tries to fool, fool uh, Hashem, it, they get an additional punishment for it. So now... HaKadosh Baruch Hu is very specific with Am Yisrael not marrying the Gentiles. There's literally, in the last several parashot, constant mention of how we have to stay away from the Gentiles, never, uh, never marry them, never uh, behave like them. And there's a constant mention, there's a constant mention for Am Yisrael to distinguish themselves from the Gentiles, not to wear the same clothes, so much so that if a Jew marries a Gentile, they lose their Olam Abad, they go to Geinom, they, get, they suffer tremendously in Kafakela. There's all types of punishment that they get that uh, a person, if they only knew, if they only knew what damage they're going to get, what kind of severe punishment they're going to get for even being intimate with a non-Jew one time in their life, literally they would cry tears of blood. But of course, most people are ignorant and they run away from the truth in every chance that they get. And they have a lot of so-called rabbis that support their heretical behavior as long as the check continues to clear for their donations. And unfortunately, this is one of the things that the prophet Jeremiah cried about when all types of false prophets would try to give people the, the news they wanted to hear, the good news where this prophet, fake prophet, it ends up being, uh, you know, says to everyone, stop listening to Jeremiah. He's, uh, he's full of negativity, full of warnings. Don't worry, God talked to me. And in two years, Nebuchadnezzar, He's going down, and Hashem is going to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash. Jerem- and, and he did this after publicly embarrassing Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah spoke to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I never spoke to this guy, he's a liar. Tell Am Yisrael that because of him, they're going to get an additional punishment. They're going to get an additional punishment because they believed him. And him, as a liar, he's going to die this year. Jeremiah comes back to Am Yisrael and tells him, this is exactly what happens. This is Jeremiah, I believe, chapter 28. Just learned it today with Rav Ephraim. Went through some of the details. And this prophet is told in front of everyone, because you are a liar, you're going to die this year. And if you look at the dates of when everything happened, literally within two months, this guy died. This guy died, and of course his prophecy of, uh, 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 of good news never transpired. Now one would ask, why? Why is it such a bad thing? Even if you're lying, like, uh, like uh, Friedman, uh, Manus Friedman's son told me, so what if he's lying a little bit? What do you care? Look at the results. So why would giving people false hope be such a bad thing? Because giving people false hope is changing the Torah. Giving people false hope is against HaKadosh Baruch Hu because HaKadosh Baruch Hu's signature is emet. Now, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us bad news, he's telling us if we do bad things, bad things would happen. It's not because he is, uh, wants us to be scared because there's some type of good coming out of uh, you know his personal joy of us being scared. It's when the prophets that he sends uh, to tell people the truth are, are, are out there and they're warning people of all types of damage that will happen to them if they continue with the bad behavior going against the Torah. It's not because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is happy that uh, these prophets are scaring people. Rather, he's happy because they're warning them because now that certain people are warned, they now are going to have a legitimate chance to make an educated ca- uh, uh, decision to change their ways. It's not a scare ta- tactic, but rather a warning. And a warning is something that all of us need, all of us depend on. You have warnings in traffic, you have warnings on medicine bottles, you have warnings on food. All of us require warnings. But unfortunately today, the warnings have turned into scare tactics and people run away from them, especially when they have fakers telling them to run away from fear of Hashem. Now, of course, we have a Kadosh Baruch Hu that tells us it's, it's extremely important for a Jew to marry a non-Jew and also to separate themselves from the non-Jews. Separate themselves as much as possible. Surely you can do business with them. Surely you can uh, you know, be uh, cordial and friendly. But when it comes to uh, befriending them to, to such a close point where your kids and their kids are playing together on a regular basis, they're invited to your house on a regular basis to, uh, to eat dinner and so on, there lies the problem. Why? Because if you make it normal for your kids to see non-Jews in your house, that uh, they could be, you know, hang out at all times. And this non-Jew is not intending on converting. This is simply a non-Jew that believes in Yeshu, uh, lives in Muhammad, or even if he believes in God, simply he's, uh, you know, he's, he's just a, a decent person. And you want to be a friend with him and you want his kids to play with your kids because you think it's a good idea. The Gemara in Masechet Avodah says such a thing is forbidden. Why? Because even though you can decipher the difference between you and him, you can decipher the difference between you and her, your kids are not going to be able to do it. And therefore, they're going to see if they're able to grow up together, then what's the difference between them and a Jew and end up marrying each other. And unfortunately, this is what happened throughout our history. Anytime we broke the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, little by little intermarriage increased. And this is why I told one of my dear students, 
was a very very dear person a very precious person they asked me do you know of any synagogue that will accept righteous noahides to attend and i told them if it's a legitimate synagogue that has fear of the almighty they will never accept righteous noahides to attend on a regular basis uh, and and quite frankly even once in a while is 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 probably unlikely why because there has to be a separation where even if you are a righteous noahide we have to make sure that am israel does not think that they're allowed to marry you because you're a righteous noahide and you know a lot of torah even more than the people in the community still we're not allowed to marry you now needless to say this is not a uh, 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 a prejudice against non-jews there's also limitations within the jewish community itself where certain people are not allowed to marry certain people one of the prime examples that a lot of people have a tough time with until they learn the details of what Yirat Shamaim is what fear of the Almighty is who's really running the world is the details of the Kohen the Kohen is not allowed to marry certain people not allowed to marry certain people now of course if it's the Kohen Gadol he even has more limitations than that even more limitations than that but a regular Kohen is not allowed to marry a uh, uh just anybody he has to be very very specific he's not allowed to marry a woman that has been divorced uh he's not allowed to marry a woman that is a harlot now the question is a uh, how many people out there are harlots now if you uh you know, that are looking for a shidduch to go marry a kohen that's because the definition that people think of when they think of a harlot they think of a prostitute they think of just some woman is in the streets some escort some woman that's full of full filth full of garbage that uh, even at the time of the Beta Mikdash, there's a mitzvah that forbids us from accepting the uh the sacrifice from this uh, harlot why because if the Allah says and Rambam explains it also that if you allow this harlot to uh take money out of her income that she makes from her promiscuity and her filth you allow her to donate that money to the Bet Mikdash, you're enabling her to continue her crime. Why? Because she has, she has a uh, uh, you know a uh, our conscious is telling her, listen, you can't be a harlot and go to heaven. You're a bad person. You're doing bad things. But then the the, the Yetzirah says, "Hey, what bad things? What are you talking about? They ended up building a whole yeshiva because of the tzedakah that she's giving. So therefore, Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, not allowed to take her money." let her live with that bad conscience let her live with the fact that she is a sinner and not think for a moment that she's allowed to sin because she's using the money for good no such thing the same applies for all other unethical businesses whether it's the cash advance business or you're stealing money from selling cars or you're stealing money from selling computers or you're stealing money from selling stocks whatever it is if you're an unethical person you're taking advantage of people Akadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want your tzedaka you're a mechalel shabbat you're going against the torah and you think you're going to save yourself by donating a lot of money while continuing to sin you have to understand that Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to throw that money in your face. He has no interest whatsoever in people thinking, even for a moment, that they can continue sinning and just resolve everything by giving some staka. That's only you'll, something you'll find in Christianity and Catholicism. You're not going to find that in Judaism. Unfortunately, you will find Jews that call themselves rabbis that will actually enable people to continue sinning so long as they give staka. When the guy comes to them in a car on Shabbat, and uh they don't say a single thing why because they know that his check always clears and it's usually four digits or more so this is literally spiritual murder 
This is spiritual murder of the nation because our Torah clearly tells us that we have to rebuke our people, we have to we have to help them, we have to love them. And how can you love somebody by taking his money without helping him actually go to heaven by telling him to keep Shabbat and the rest of the mitzvot? So now we have a situation here where the the uh, the uh, language barrier, be, you know, as far as the difference between Hebrew and English is really the reason why people don't truly understand the meaning of this verse where it says that the Kohen shall not marry a woman who is a harlot or has been desecrated uh, or a woman that's been divorced so most people think okay divorce we can understand uh desecrated we can understand well harlot i mean were there that many harlots i mean one of the reasons why kadosh bahu took us out of egypt is because the women were so modest and because the women did not uh, fornicate with the uh, with the Gentiles, with the exception of one case that's mentioned in this week's parasha, Shlomit, that was raped by the Egyptian. There was no such relation between the Jews and the Gentiles, and Hashem specifically coordinated it in such a fashion that the, the Gentiles, the the Egyptians, literally were disgusted by the Jews. They were disgusted by us, and specifically, it's mentioned at the time of Yosef Atzadik. So this helped us stay away from them. But unfortunately, that didn't uh, that uh, beautiful blessing did not last because throughout all of the generations since the time we left Egypt, the uh, the Gentiles were constantly looking to marry the Jews, and unfortunately, the Jews constantly had a yetzerah to marry the Gentiles against the Torah in both cases, both for the Gentiles and for the Jews. And if they stay that way, they both lose their eternity. The Gentile loses his eternity and or her eternity and 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 the jew loses their eternity they it's 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 a horrific horrific punishment you get for such relations now you have a situation here where torah says that the kohen wants to marry a jew not a gentile has nothing to do with a gentile wants to marry a jew but she's a harlot why what's the problem she uh no no this is not talking about some prostitute or some escort this is talking about a woman that was with anybody else that was forbidden to her she's considered a harlot meaning if this woman she's a righteous woman today she did tshuva she has kisurosh even without being married the dress reaches her ankles she covers everything tzadikah she reads tehilim every day finishes the whole book every day she's a tzadikah kdosha but one time, one time, she was intimate with a non-Jew. She was intimate with Mustafa. She was ist- intimate with Chris. One time, the Kohen is not allowed to marry her. The Kohen is not allowed to marry her. Rashi says that a woman that's a harlot, according to our Torah, what's a harlot? It's a woman that has lived with any man who is not permitted to her because of a negative commandment. And this includes not only relationship, uh, uh, relationships punishable by death or karet, also living with a mamzer or a non-Jew, meaning that even if she had a boyfriend, you have a very serious problem, very serious problem. Why? Because if your shiduch is a Kohen, you're not allowed to marry him. I had a case like this one time, a wonderful woman that she uh, was looking to get married. She found Mr. Perfect, but Mr. Perfect was the most imperfect. Why? He was a Kohen, and since she was a balat tshuva, told her you're not allowed to marry him of course there was a lot of tears and but the truth is the truth now many times people think that they can you know just do this and do that and uh, try to uh, uh, beat the system in some way or another 
all they're doing is that they're beating themselves because HaKadosh Baruch Hu then has to take care of it and typically the damage is much more severe than just a few words that cause you to cry so now the uh the the important thing is that we this is mentioned multiple times in the Torah that the Kohanim cannot just marry anybody they have to marry specific types of people they're also not allowed to marry converts many new converts get offended by this but it's important for you to know that for the same reason why you converted is the same reason of why HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to the Kohen that he's not allowed to marry you if you're a convert what's the reason the reason is that it says in chapter 21 verse uh, verse uh, 7 uh, for each one is holy to his God you shall sanctify him for he offers the 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 food of your of your God he shall remain holy to you for holy am I Hashem who sanctifies you in so many words and again he says it again in in uh, verse 15 for I am Hashem who sanctifies you in so many words what logic does it have to not allow the Kohen to marry a woman that he thinks he loves the logic is I am Hashem that's the logic I said so that's why that's why Hashem doesn't have anything against the the woman per se she's a balat shuva she's a tzadika but she's still forbidden to that Kohen she's a convert righteous convert a Kadosh is her father and her mother he loves her dearly and we are obligated to love her more than we love natural born Jews yet she's forbidden to marry a Kohen why I am Hashem that's the reason I am Hashem that's Hashem says I am Hashem that's the reason now you could say yeah but it's because of this because of that bottom line is who says I am Hashem that's it that's the reason I decide Kohen is not allowed to marry any of these people but they are allowed to marry others why because there is an order an order in his system that is beyond our comprehension there are certain souls that are designated for certain souls if they match they can bring an extraordinary amount of holiness to the world if they match with the wrong soul they can bring an extraordinary amount of impurity to the world extraordinary amount of pain to the world so who has a much better system than we imagine and he knows what's best much more than what we do now of course some people don't necessarily like the system so they say yeah but maybe that's relevant to the past it's not necessarily relevant to today and that's why you have the conservative the reform and unfortunately others that uh you know are uh, even uh, promoting uh intermarriage promoting intermarriage uh, uh you know p- promoting the uh judeo-christian relations to be stronger and all types of other things like this even though Torah forbids such things forbids it now of course a person needs to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, at the end of the parasha tells us a story of what happened happened that there was a woman that also wanted to beat the system in a little bit wanted to beat the system what's the system she wanted to be friendly even though she's a slave in Egypt it's horrible they're killing babies they're killing adults there is an extraordinary amount of death everywhere damage everywhere people are missing limbs people are missing eyes people are, are are suffering 
and we are also not the only slaves there are other nations there that are slaves too and so there's an enormous amount of uh, uh, disaster it's literally a, a much much bigger holocaust than the one that we have in our history books that happened 70 years ago approximately that murdered six million jews and millions of other non-jews what happened in egypt was much much worse to be happy was literally impossible but this young woman named shlomit she wants to be happy how does she express her happiness hello 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 hi hi shalom shlomit because she wants to say shalom to everybody not just to her husband not just to our kids she wants to say hello to the neighbor she wants to say hello to the other neighbor she wants to say hello to the uh, the egyptian that beat her and her husband she wants to say hello to the egyptian that may end up beating them later on she wants to say hello to the egyptian that just killed a few kids she wants to say hello to everybody maybe because if i'm nice to them maybe the things will change who said that you're allowed to do such a thing who said that you're supposed to have platonic relationships with some guy who said that you're allowed to have a uh, a guy friend who said you're allowed to do such things what i'm just we're not we're not i know him he's like my brother well according to the torah he's actually forbidden to you just like your brother because you're not married so in, in regards to that yeah he is like your brother your brother's forbidden to you and this guy is forbidden to you at least with your brother you're allowed to talk to but this guy you're not allowed to talk to so he's actually even worse than your brother but unfortunately people want to change the torah they want to custom make it and shlomit was one of those women and what ended up happening is that one of those hellos landed on an egyptian the egyptian said oh hello you know what hello back and he ends up raping her and out of that rape comes this blasphemer this blasphemer that the chachamim the mekubalim arizal say this blasphemer is actually the uh, gilgul of kain the gilgul of kain the reincarnation of kain was split into multiple places one was the egyptian one was korach one was this blasphemer this would have to be another reincarnation as i've mentioned in uh, my uh shiur about kabbalah and the uh, uh discussing uh, uh uh christianity or, or yeshu imachimo this blasphemer gets reincarnated again into yeshua nutsli into yeshua nutsli machshimo vezichro the uh, that uh the the jew that ended up bringing more death to jewish people in the last two thousand years than anyone else in history and literally being the source of all tuma anyone that reads a little bit about some of the things that happen in the other side uh you know the things with regarding to Dibukim uh, and so on. Many times you see that the uh, the, the place of Tum'ah are constantly enticed or energized by Christianity, by the idolatry of Christianity. Literally, the Mikubalim say that the source, the the leader of uh, uh, um, or, or or general, I would even say, uh, in the uh, uh, place of Tum'ah in the world is uh, is is Yoshke, is the Tum'ah that he created into the world. So this already started from the creation of the world one part of the story is this blasphemer but the blasphemer wasn't just given as a son to anybody you're not going to see this blasphemer you know be a son 
to uh, to any of the tzaddikim. You see this one going towards a woman that broke the fence. She didn't go and look for a, a, a Egyptian to marry. She simply wanted to say hello. She broke the fence. Akadosh Baruch showed on that there's a measure for measure. You broke the fence. What you're going to bring to the world is someone else that breaks the fence. Someone else that broke the fence. And what ends up happening is that since this child came out of uh, out of a Gentile father, that meant that he had no tribe. He had no tribe. He wanted to go join the tribe of Dan because that's where his mother was from. But the tribe of Dan says, I'm sorry, you can't, uh, you can't join us because the tribe is decided based on the father and your father is a uh is an egyptian so you have no tribe he said no we have to go to Bedin. let's go to moshe rabenu they brought the case to the Bedin of moshe rabenu it doesn't get better than that a, per- a person that speaks to akadosh Bahu like one friend speaks to another meaning there is no wrong answer here there is no oh maybe he made a mistake maybe he doesn't understand my case Maybe I didn't this, maybe I didn't that. You're going to Moshe Rabbeinu, simply. It's, it's, it's literally speaking face-to-face with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Chavruta. So the Bed-Din of Moshe Rabbeinu looks at the case of this blasphemer and the tribe of Dan, the leaders of the tribe of Dan, and Paskins that the tribe of Dan are correct. This young boy does not have any permission whatsoever to think that he's part of the tribe of Dan. Why? His father is not Jewish. After this boy hears what happened, he gets angry and he curses Akadosh Bahu's name. He actually mentions the name of Akadosh Bahu and he curses it. After that, he gets arrested. And Moshe Rabenu asks Akadosh Bahu, what do we do with him? Now, of course, Moshe Rabenu knows that anyone that's a blasphemer that curses the name of Hashem, it's a death penalty. So what's the question? Why? Why why is Moshe Rabenu? ask what to do with him simple we have another guy named Slovchad that was a uh, uh, gathering wood on Shabbat that also has to get the death penalty for violating Shabbat so the question is not if we're going to kill this blasphemer or not question is are we going to put both of them in the same cell or in two different cells because if they're in the same cell then surely this blasphemer is going to think he's going to get the same exact death penalty as the Mechalel Shabbat, which is the worst type. But if his, but since his, his penalty is less, technically he should be in a different cell, so he doesn't suffer extra, meaning even he's going to die anyway, but at least he'll know that his death penalty is not going to be as bad as the Mechalel Shabbat, as the one that desecrated Shabbat. That's in essence the question that Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Kadosh Baruch So here we see, Rabotai, that we have on one end of the parasha, we're talking about the holiness of the Kohanim and how they have to be very specific about who they pick to marry. They can't just marry any righteous girl. They have to know, understand that Akadosh Baruch Hu is the one that runs the world. He has a system. We have to follow along. And the better we follow along, the better we can produce good in the world. But when a person steers away and starts interpreting things on their own, as soon as... HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends them a rebuke by telling them that the deen is not for you. The deen is against you. Their ego could easily get in the way and they could end up cursing God. They could end up violating Shabbat. They could end up going against the Baruch Hu in so many different ways. 
and end up losing their olam haba. Instead of losing a small battle and winning the war, they end up losing everything. Why? Because they tried to break the fence. They tried to recreate Judaism. There's another example of this in the Gemara. The Gemara in Masechet Yevamut, the Mishnah there, page 61a, the Mishnah there says that if a Kohen performed a Irusin with a widow and was then appointed to be a Kohen Gadol before consummating the marriage, he may marry her. Here we see that there is an exception to the rule. Exception to the rule, where if if he uh, the, this Kohen was uh, performed the Irusin with a widow before he became Kohen Gadol, he didn't know he's going to become Kohen Gadol, and they already performed the Irusin. This is like the uh, engagement, not to really be compared to today's engagement, but he's a regular Kohen, and a regular Kohen is allowed to marry a widow. But now Kohen Gadol is not allowed to marry a widow. Not allowed to marry a widow. So he, as a regular Kohen, he got engaged to a widow. But after they got engaged, which in today's world, it's in essence the same thing as the actual marriage itself. If you compare the two, it's not like the engagement of today, which is a complete waste of time and money. So here, now he got engaged the only thing they haven't done is the actual act itself to to finalize everything and he finds out they announce hello we have good news you are officially the kohen gadol now we have a problem what's the problem kohen gadol is not allowed to marry the girl that i have a kiddushin with what do i do Mishnah says, no, no, he's allowed to marry her. He's allowed to marry her. He can stay, he can stay because they already started beforehand. He's allowed to continue with it. And then the Mishnah continues and tells a story happened with Yeshua ben Gamla that he uh, married Marta, the, to- the daughter of Baitus. And she, when she was a widow, and afterwards, the king appointed him to be Kohen Gadol and he married her all the same meaning this story happened this type of thing happened this is not a theoretical thing that this Kohen named Yeshua ben Gamla married a uh, a widow and later her father which was the uh, king made him into a uh the, the king made him into a uh uh not a father the king made him into a um into Kohen Gadol. now who is this who is this uh yeshua ben gamla yeshua ben gamla and the gemara masechet baba batra page 21a says in the name of rav yuda in the name of rav says that man yeshua ben gamla is to be remembered in a favorable way for were it not for him the torah would have been forgotten by am Yisrael. here you have an extraordinary description of yeshua ben gamla that if it was not for him that the torah would have been forgotten how could it be says because originally 
The system was that if a child had a father, the father would teach this child the Torah. And one that didn't have a father would not learn Torah. But then the sages enacted that teachers of children should be installed in Yerushalayim so that any youth would go there and be learned and be taught Torah. And despite this, if a child had a father, the father would take him to Yerushalayim and he would learn Torah, but it didn't solve the problem because whoever didn't have a father, he would, there would be nobody to take him to Yerushalayim to study Torah. So then the sages fixed it again and said, okay, local authorities should be installed and they should open yeshivot in every place. And they should bring the kids 16 years, 17 years who lacked the education to these yeshivot to be taught by the teachers. But there was still one problem left. What was the problem? Any student that became upset with his teacher because his teacher got angry with him, the student will rebel against the teacher and end up leaving. Why? Because he's 16, 17 years old. He already lived a life. He thinks he knows everything. You're installing him into some yeshiva. The rabbi tells him to be quiet until he finishes what the chidush uh, is. This kid doesn't want to hear it. The rabbi rebukes him. He says, what? Talk to me that way? I'm leaving. So now, even though you solved the problem of bringing the yeshivot to every town, even if somebody doesn't have a father, he still has a way to learn Torah, you still have a problem. The problem is that all the guys that are coming into the yeshiva, they're, you know, teenagers, and they end up leaving because they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. And this matter was not resolved until Yeshua ben Gamla came and enacted that the local authorities, meaning the, the, the rabbis, the sages, should install teachers of children in every district in town. And they should bring the children starting at the age of six and seven years old to be taught by these teachers. And with this new Ordinance, Yeshua ben Gamla ensured that the Torah would not be forgotten by Israel. Why? Because if you bring a six-year-old to the yeshiva, that six-year-old, even though he's a little troublemaker, wants to climb the walls, wants to play, wants to this, if you speak to him a certain way, you rebuke him a certain way, you do this, you do this, eventually you get this kid to start learning, and you have this kid by the time he is... 15, 16 years old, he's already a Ben Torah. Why? Because he hasn't been damaged for 15 years. He's still relatively new, new in the box. And who is this thanks to? Thanks to Yeshua Ben Gamla. So you would think that Yeshua Ben Gamla is the greatest according to this. But if we go back to our Mishnah in Masechet Yevamot, we have a little bit of a problem. Why? Because Yeshua ben Gamla, who married this girl, this Malta but uh, Baitus, is not spoken about in a favorable way. 
Why? The Gemara says that the king appointed Yeshua ben Gamla to be Kohen. But Sanhedrin did not. Rav Yosef says, Ketir kahazina acha. I see here there's a conspiracy. There is a connection to wicked people in his whole election of becoming a Kohen Gadol. Meaning that although Yeshua ben Gamla did some good things, his position of being Kohen Gadol, it's only because of a conspiracy connection to wicked people. How could you say such a thing? Because he married, he married this girl, he married this widow, this Martha Batbaitus. And who's this Martha Batbaitus? The Gemara in Masechet Baba Batra, page 21a, says that this Martha Batbaitus, I'm sorry, Gemara Masechet Gitin, Gitin, page 56a. Says this Mata Batbaitus was the daughter of the was a daughter of a wealthy man, and uh, she ended up being the wealthiest woman in Yerushalayim. And therefore, she wanted to make her new husband happy, Yeshua ben uh, ben, ben Gamla. So what did she do? She paid off to buy the keuna. Now, if he's so righteous, what's the problem? The Gemara asks this. He did great things. He made sure that Amisla does not forget Torah. He made sure that there's little yeshivot in every town. The kids learn Torah. Yes, as righteous as he was, we have a system. And the system is somebody else was supposed to be the Kohen Gadol, somebody that was greater than him. And there was somebody greater than him, uh, but that could not happen. Why? Because... Despite his righteousness, there was a mistake made where they wanted to beat the system. And beating the system put a stain on his spiritual portfolio that forevermore we read this Gemara, it talks about that the only reason he became a Kohen Gadol was because of a conspiracy and a connection to wicked people referring to his wife and all of the other co-conspirators that love money. So here we see that someone that starts off with naive intentions like Shlomit ends up bringing terrible things to themselves and also to their kids. The kid follows the same line of thinking, of thinking that, okay, but it's not my fault that my mom got raped. I still want to join the tribe. Yes, we understand you want it, but that's just not the way it works. There are rules and the rules are, you can't be part of the name of, uh, of uh, the tribe of Dan. He gets angry because they won't allow him to change the rules. They won't allow him to change the Torah. He curses God and loses everything. But we also see someone that was considered righteous. Also have a stain on his, uh, on his name. A Kohen Gadol that was really not supposed to be a Kohen Gadol. You only became it because you changed the system. So now, Rabotai, we have 
these types of things happening every single day in society where people want to change what has been the norm whether it's the fashion of today shemishmo that is literally the, the the one of the worst tragedies that ever happened to mankind or it's the education they give children today there are endless ways that you endless things you can uh, you can cry about but we've already cried about those there is one thing that we learned with Rabbi Ephraim Baruch Hashem that we're gonna cry a little more about and the reason why is because we believe that this poses a great danger to Am Yisrael that is unlike the other dangers is simply not being addressed meaning that if you're talking about the danger of immodesty surely there are rabbis and communities that are fighting the yetzerah of immodesty if you're talking about the issues of immorality pornography non-kosher food corruption within certain businesses surely there are some people out there that are fighting it sometimes it's us sometimes it's others sometimes others but when it comes to the Chabad Mashiach Now movement, rarely do you see anyone speaking against it. And if they do, typically it's on the low. It's not going to be a public statement because nobody wants a war, either because of the good that Chabad has done or does or both, or simply because they're a conglomerate that no one wants to mess with because the second you mention their name they torture your life as much as they could possibly can whether it's simply annoying you 24 hours a day with messages threats curses all types of other wonderful things but since we work for we have to remind ourselves at all times that if there is something that needs to be taught we are the first to do it we've already discussed this issue multiple times but since then a new chidush has come up many of the chabadniks that have sent me messages different shluchim that are all over the place that have heard the shiur that have heard the video where i say that this whole concept of mashiach now is not something that the sages taught it's not something that agrees with our masoret it's not something that even agrees with logic with anyone that knows torah but unfortunately one after another disagrees with it for different reasons now we have a chidush that actually shows that there's not only the sages did not teach it but rather the torah is against mashiach now in fact mashiach now is against the torah now to believe that mashiach is going to come and can come on any given day is an obligation every Jew has a Jew that does not believe that the Mashiach can come on any given day is going against the Torah and is considered a heretic so here we're not saying not to believe that Mashiach can come but rather to make the primary focus of your Judaism the primary focus of your life to constantly put flags and stickers everywhere and tell everybody Mashiach now while the vast majority of people don't even understand what Alachot Shabbat are 
don't even understand what will happen to them if Mashiach actually did come tomorrow, as they would be the first to be destroyed. As the Prophet says, that just with his lips he will destroy all of the wicked. A wicked person is not necessarily just a murderer. A wicked person is a Mechalel Shabbat. A wicked person is someone that's married to a Gentile. A wicked person is someone that weighs seed and acts immorally. In so many words, a wicked person is the vast majority of the world. This is the reason why we have in our Torah that the Mashiach is going to come, the Goel is going to come to save all of those people that used to be pushing, that used to be wicked, used to be criminals. Meaning, he's coming to save all of the people that have done tshuva. But if a person has not done tshuva by the time Mashiach comes, he's done. He is going to pay a very heavy fine, to say the least. A fine that will cost them everything. If he is not keeping Shabbat by the time Mashiach comes, he's gone forever. He's destroyed forever. You have to go in again home. If he is still married to a non-Jew and Mashiach comes, he lost his share of the world to come. He's not going to enjoy Mashiach now. And this is actually something that the sages discuss. Where? The Gemara in Masechet Yevamut, page 62a. This section of the Gemara talks about the mitzvah of purbu, the mitzvah of procreation, bringing children to the world. And there's a machloket between two of the sages, Rabbi Yochanan Ravuna. And it starts off saying that Ravuna says that if a man had children, but they died in his lifetime. Ravuna says that despite that, if he had children, even if they died, nevertheless, he has fulfilled the mitzvah of pu'ubu, of procreation, and he's not obligated to have additional children. It's one of the mitzvot in the Torah, and we get in the book of uh, uh, in Genesis, that a Jew has to bring children to the world, specifically one boy, one girl, or more. Now what if somebody brings those kids and Hashem Ishmo, during his lifetime those kids die? Abuna says, it's not his fault. He still fulfilled the mitzvah. Fulfilled the mitzvah. Rabbi Yochanan says, no. No, he didn't. He did not fulfill the mitzvah. He is required to have more children to replace the ones that died. And there starts the machloket. Ravuna says, he fulfilled the mitzvah. It's not his fault that two kids died. Rav Yochanan says, no. If they died, he has to go and have more kids. So then the, the Ravuna says, what's the source that, uh, what's his argument? He says he fulfilled the mitzvah of procreation of Pulbu based on the fact that Rav Asi says that the son of David, meaning the Mashiach, will not arrive until all of the souls are vacated from goof. As we learn from the, uh, uh, the, the Pasuk in Isaiah chapter 57 verse 16 that says 
for a spirit of redemption from before me shall be late born and the souls I have made so here Rav Asi is saying that there's a place called Goof that is a chamber in heaven that separates the Shekhinah and the uh, angels and this specific place called Goof is uh, contains all of the souls that were created during the first six days of creation and in order for the Mashiach to come all of those souls have to come out of this place and therefore the argument that uh, uh, the the the, the uh, what the teachings of Rav Asi is that once all of those neshamot, once all of those souls are out of this place, goof, Mashiach eventually is going to come. Now it may happen much later after all of the souls are already out for a while. It may happen right after they're done. He's not specifying a specific time, but he's saying that in order for the Mashiach to come, there is a requirement that that place goof has to be empty. No more souls. Ravuna, on the other hand, is using this specific source from Rav Asi and saying that, look, we have here a teachings that in order for the Mashiach to come, this place has to be empty. This place that has all the souls has to be empty. So that means that if this guy is a uh, had kids, he is. What does he do? What's the whole the whole uh, 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 purpose that Hashem brought procreation to the world is to bring the Mashiach. He brought procreation to the world so we can bring the Mashiach. So if I brought another couple of souls to the world, that means that I've emptied out another couple of souls from this place. So I serve my purpose. I fulfilled the mitzvah. That's the uh, argument of Rav Huna. And he's using the source of Rav Asi. Comes Rav Yochanan and says, no, he has not fulfilled the mitzvah of procreation. Why? Because we have a pasuk, we have a teachings. Leshevet be'ainyan, that the, uh, we're required that through this procreation, there will be a fulfillment of God's plan where he is the one that formed the world in order to be inhabited and since these children have died there is no no habitation of the world through them so here Rav Yochanan is not disagreeing with what Rav Asi said which is that the Mashiach is not going to come until this place goof is empty he's not disagreeing with that He's disagreeing with what Rav Huna is saying, which is that so long as I help empty out this place and I bring a couple of souls to the the world, then I'm uh, fulfilling my obligation in the world to bring Mashiach and therefore I'm I'm doing good. Rav Yochanan says, no, 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 you're not getting the point. Although what Rav Asi said is true and it's right and it's necessary, that's not the purpose of this world the purpose of this world is to take those neshamot and have them fulfill the plan of a kadosh which is to live a life of torah and mitzvot 
to live a life in this world to habitate this place not just to come and die as a as a uh, uh, um, uh, just somebody that uh, died as a still life baby or some type of abortion no you have to obviously come to the world and fulfill the will of Hashem now what if somebody had a couple of kids and he's already older he can't have any more kids the Gemara says don't worry if those the minute those kids have grandkids they have kids meaning you become a grandfather even if his kids end up dying before him he still fulfilled the mitzvah because there's still those souls are habitating the world meaning that there's still more Torah in the world there's more people to fulfill the will of Hashem and therefore the Chachamim say that the grandchildren are reckoned as children and if one's children die or if the the son is discovered to be a saris or the daughter's a saris meaning that he has a son that is a uh, um uh not able to have kids or a daughter is not able to have kids then the father has not fulfilled the uh the mitzvah of procreation but if the uh the the son has produced uh, uh grandkids then he's fulfilled the mitzvah then there is more people that are following the will of Hashem so in essence the ultimate difference between the two is that although they're both using the same exact source same exact fact that this place goof has to be emptied out before Mashiach comes but there's no guarantee that the second that the last neshama comes to the world Mashiach is gonna come or it's gonna call it's gonna happen a hundred years after it's empty because that place goof is not the ultimate purpose of the world that's just simply a condition a condition that needs to be met before Mashiach comes the purpose of the world though is for all of those neshamot that are coming to fulfill the will of Hashem to habitate the world to be able to serve to learn Torah to do mitzvot and so on and in so many words this is the mistake that Chabad is making where they're in essence are taking the entire Torah the entire mitzvot everything that is dear to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, all of the commandments all of the obligations all of the reward all of the punishment and simply minimizing it into a simple condition that Mashiach now instead of publicizing to Am Yisrael to keep Shabbat to keep Tarat Mishpacha to 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 have Yirat Shamayim to fulfill the, the will of Hashem as he said it not as you see it they have turned everything into Mashiach now meaning that we have a, 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 a motto Mashiach comes and now all the problems will be solved and what are they saying this is saying that, that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said this now because he was a tzaddik and we surely have to give him the benefit of the doubt we surely know and anyone that has heard any of his speeches and even if we heard him say Mashiach now you know based on what he wrote in his books based on what he learned from the Tanya based on what you can learn from his books or the Tanya his message and their message are not the same they're both saying Mashiach now but just like the machloka between Rav Huna and Rabbi Yochanan it's not the same message why the Balatanya which is the foundation of Chabad 
was something that came after the Baal Shem Tov, the foundation of Hasidut, which came as something that is an extraordinary part of Judaism, but surely is based on the same foundation as the rest of Am Yisrael, which is we have the Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah, the foundational stone of the entire Torah is the Gemara. That's our oral Torah. We have, of course, we have our written Torah, the five books of Moses. There is no difference as far as the foundation for any part of Am Yisrael. All of us use the same exact foundation. Now, if you look at the teachings of the leaders of Hasidut, they all talked about reward and punishment. They all talked about the obligation to learn the Gemara, the Shuchan Aruch, to, 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 to fulfill the Alachot, to learn Musar, to improve yourself, to constantly fear punishment for not fulfilling the will of Hashem and going against them. We have a book, a Kuntres, that Rabbi Fine put together about a Genom teachings based on the leaders of Hasidut, whether it be the Baal Shem Tov, Magid Mimezrich, uh, the uh, Rabbi Elimelech Milizhinsk, the, the Baal Atanya, uh, uh, Rabbi Nachman Breslev, and so on and so forth. Meaning that they're not different in any way, shape, or form from the rest of Judaism. They had different teachings that were like seasonings on top of the same foundation but still the same exact principles still the same rules in so many words same everything if you go to the tanya chapter 8 he warns you that if you're going to waste your time speaking about sports surfing the internet chatting on facebook a rabbi I have a few friends on Facebook, but I don't know if they're really listening to my rebukes. What do you think I should do? I think you should get off of Facebook and go learn Torah. And if you can have friends, bring them to learn Torah with you. And if they're only digital, then simply go find real friends that you could actually learn Torah with. And stop wasting your time in a digital world. Before you know it, people are going to build kolos on, on Metaverse. Stop wasting your time on the internet. Stop chit-chatting and making fake friends on the internet. Go learn Torah. That's your obligation in the world. But people don't really understand until you tell them clearly multiple times. And therefore the Balatanya said it clearly multiple times throughout the Tanya, starting with chapter 8. Which says, simply for an idle conversation, a person is going to have to go to Kafakela. And anyone that read Ruchot Mesaprot and looked at the commentary, what he has, what he wrote in chapter 88, literally your skin, your skin will fall off from fear of the words that he's saying of what happens in Kafakela. Awful of awfuls. Awful of awfuls, nightmare of all nightmares. What happens in Kafakila, the destruction that happens to sinners. And the Balatanya says that for a simple waste of time conversation, a person goes to this place. We're talking about having, the Rabbi Udaftaya says, 
destruction destroying angels well they're called destroyers they're called uh, malachir chabala they're, 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 they're destroying angels these angels spoke to Rabbi Daftaya. they told them that they only have one desire they don't have a desire to love although they procreate they don't have lust they don't even have love for their own kids these specific destroyers they only have one lust to hurt the sinners that's the only thing they want to do that's their lust and each person in kafakela has three of them surrounding him bringing him from judgment to judgment from court to court shemi shmol if you heard what happens these neshamot have different sentences with different parts of the day where they're literally punished in more severe ways than the worst possible horror films you could ever imagine beaten with fire and for the several hours straight and if that's not enough they're then taken to a specific place to go cut wood in order to make a fire to burn themselves and the angels watching them and then they re- resurrect them and they bring them back to court every day and the time in kafakela is the same as the time here and one woman that committed adultery a hundred times got a hundred years of kafakela and gave the details of her punishment to the smallest minor details you read this literally you get scared to death and start crying and if you don't you should check your pulse it talks about people that are regular people but all of a sudden they have all types of strange thoughts about christianity all types of strange thoughts about wanting to become an atheist Rabbi Daftaya says it's very possible and even likely those people have a dibuk in them one of these neshamot in kafakela entered them horrible of horribles the balatanya says for a waste of time conversation a person goes to kafakela in chapter 8 beginning of the book in chapter 25 he says people waste a lot of time and they don't learn enough torah this is the reason why the sages instituted for us to say i'm sorry for not learning enough torah three times a day in our amida if you look at the Tana, you see a monumental work that is constantly giving the same exact message as the rest of the sages work on yourself perfect yourself in your servitude of akadosh Baruch Hu, and do tshuva now now not not tomorrow now do tshuva because the punishment is severe and the obligation is great the same message we hear from Pirkeavot, the same message we hear from Rabbi Yosef Karo, the same message we hear from the Rambam, the same message we hear from the prophets. The Balatanya was already saying tshuva now. When the Lubavitcher Rabbi Alava Shalom said Mashiach now, he wasn't veering away from the foundational teachings of Chabad being the Tanya, because surely the Tanya also wrote an entire book of laws of do's and don'ts called the shukhan aruch arav 
telling us these are all the things you need to do you have to wash your hands you have to eat kosher you have to do this the balatanya wrote where perfecting yourself to do tshuva is and serving a kadosh Hu is in the tanya but the details of how to do it is shuchan the do's and don'ts if you do all the good things that are mentioned are going to happen if you don't all the bad things that are mentioned are going to happen and surely not a single leader in Hasidut has ever said that only read the tanya surely you have to go read the gemara surely you have to go read the chumash surely you have to read the rambam surely you have to follow everything don't just make judaism into one thing we have an extraordinary masoret extraordinary obligation the lubavitcher rebbe alava shalom was not veering away chas shalom from the foundation the opposite he was strengthening the message by saying mashiach now all he was telling you is the same exact thing that the prophets were saying three thousand years ago same message that the rambam said 900 years ago same message that the balatanya said couple a hundred years ago do tshuva now why because the mashiach could be arriving now and if he arrives and you haven't done tshuva you're a lost cause there's nothing that can be done for you so therefore the whole message of mashiach now is not go and put flags everywhere and make that into judaism no the whole message of mashiach now is to inspire people to do tshuva now because the mashiach can come now he didn't change judaism he simply strengthened the same exact message he didn't tell you that the whole point of coming to the well was just to have babies no you have to fulfill what rabbi ochanan said which is to be in the world and serve hashem following the mitzvot because that was what was paskin ta'alacha that's what the rambam paskin they paskin like rabbi ochanan in ilchot yishut chapter six alacha number five and the Shukhan Aruch said the same exact thing in Evan Ezer the Simana uh, um, 1-6 what happened is once the Lubavitcher Rebbe left this world people simply started interpreting things according to their likings instead of really getting the true message of that mashiach now is saying do tshuva now they've turned mashiach now into a model that mashiach now is going to solve all the problems and then you could do tshuva and then you could do this and then you could do that yeah but what about the fact that if he actually did come now many people will be in the place that the Balatanya warned us about this Kafakela place many people would be 
in this Gehenom place. And he mentions a Gehenom of snow, a Gehenom of fire. What about that? Well, if they did Shuva, they wouldn't have to worry about it. But if they just made their entire life into Mashiach now, then they're literally causing a damage to Am Yisrael. This is not the first time this mistake is made. This is not the first time this mistake is being made. In fact, there was a mistake made at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. At the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was the tribe of Ephraim who left Egypt before the salvation officially came. They left Egypt. They ran away. They figured that now is the salvation. Mashiach now. But did you get that information from God? No. Did you get that information from a prophet in the name of God? No. So what made you decide that Mashiach is now? Because we want it now. Oh, so you make the rules because you want, therefore it will be. You became God. The tribe of Ephraim left Egypt and died in a desert. 900 years later approximately, the prophet Yechizkel in chapter 37, verse 9, Kadosh Baruch Hu bring them to the dry bones of all of these people that died. And says to him, prophecy to the spirit, prophecy, Ben Adam. And say to the spirit, thus says God the Lord, come, O spirit, from the four winds and breathe into these who was slain and they shall live. Kadosh Baruch Hu says to the prophet Yechezkel 900 years after they died. Prophecy and will bring them back to life. And that's exactly what happened where the bones were as dry as can be being in a desert there for 900 years. And Kadosh Baruch Hu brought them back to life, put the flesh back on them, in order to prove that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead to that generation and thereafter. But the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 92b, says, who are these people? Rav says, these were the children of Ephraim, who calculated the time of redemption and made a mistake. And Shmuel says, these were the ones who denied the resurrection of the dead. Meaning, the Gemara says that these people that died, these tribe of Ephraim that died in the desert, they were not tzaddikim. They calculated Mashiach now, and they were wrong. They denied part of the Torah. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu punished them and killed them in a desert. Rabbi Yudaftaya Kadosh says to us in chapter 88 of Minchat Yehuda. He says, so where were they 
for the last 900 years. Since they could not go to heaven and they couldn't even go to Genom, where were they? For the last 900 years, they were in Kafakela, Shemishmor Vyatzil. Why? They said Mashiach now. They simply decided that this needs to be now. Why? Because I want it to be now. What about following the will of Hashem and teaching people about the 13 principles of faith? Instead of putting yellow stickers everywhere. Says Mashiach now, why don't you put stickers that says the 13 principles of faith and remind the people that their donations will not be a replacement for observing Shabbat. Instead of building more buildings, why don't we use the money to help people learn real Torah that's going to help them do tshuva. Teach them that there is going to be a reward and punishment. And if they do not cover their hair properly, cover their body properly, eat properly, do business properly, observe Shabbat properly, Mashiach now is not going to help them. Mashiach will actually be the one that kills them. You see, Rabotai Karim, this is not an innovation or some new thing. This is simply something that existed in the past. And we have examples in the Torah that tell us this is not the way of Judaism. And I've spoken to a few real Talmidim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe that were there, that were with them, that learned from them with many, many years. They don't say Mashiach now. Arab Zarnel, that was my dear friend, Allah Shalom, he says this nonsense would have never existed at the time of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Why? Because the whole point of what he was teaching is the same exact thing of what all of Judaism has been teaching. We're here in this world to serve Akadosh Baruch Hu. We're here in this world to serve Akadosh Baruch Hu. Why? That's our job. That's our role. Not to wait for Him to bring us to heaven. We're here in this world to earn heaven. We're here in this world to fulfill the mitzvot. Not to wait for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to pay our debt. We're here in this world to fulfill the entire Torah. Not to change it according to our likings. Those who changed it according to their likings, even if it was a minor detail. If it was Shlomit that simply decided that saying hello to anybody, it's not a big deal, even though it is. She got her deen. The son that came out of that rape also wanted to change the Torah. Small minor detail. What's the big deal? I'm not going to tell anybody. Just add me to the tribe of Dan. No. And when he got to know, he went against God and ended up losing everything. Instead of learning how to cope with the laws and see that they are for your benefit, 
he decided that if you're not going to change the Torah for me, I want no part of it. Thinking that if he has no part of the Torah, there is going to be something better for him. When you deny the Torah, you deny yourself. Heaven, you deny yourself everything. But it's just a small detail. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at every minor detail. There is no small detail. When the prophet Jeremiah was saying to people warnings, this false prophet came and told people, ah, he's full of bad news. I'm going to give you good news. So what if he lies a little bit? That small little lie cost that false prophet his life that he died less than two months later and cost the entire nation of Israel to suffer further and even more than they were suffering before. The tribe of Ephraim decided that Mashiach now is the way to go. They ended up paying nearly 900 years of suffering in Kafakela. Each and every single one of them having destructive angels that have a desire to destroy them and to beat them as the only lust that they were created for. People love their opinion. But the moment you love your opinion more than a Kadosh Baruch Hu's, you're losing everything. As much as we would like for Mashiach now to really be what they say it is, it simply doesn't exist. The goal of the message that the Lubavitcher Rebbe brought was Mashiach now is tshuva now. Not Mashiach now and tshuva later. Mashiach now is tshuva now. Because if you do it later, it'll be too late. Perhaps instead of sending me more messages and bothering many of my students, and causing them untold harm. Perhaps they should reflect and see that changing the Torah is to no one's benefit in the end. We have a track record of losers that changed the Torah and not a single one of them benefited in the end. this too will give chizuk to those that are looking for the truth. The sources are there, and there's many, many more. All you got to do is open a book, and you'll see it. With that being said, you guys will ask some questions, and Bezat Hashem HaKadosh will give us some answers. I'm going to get a little drink. Bezat Hashem. Jack saying the uh, that's the first question. Jack said the Rebbe said he did all he can to bring Mashiach. It's now up to you. 
Right? He obviously in that statement alone, he's saying he's not Mashiach. So that means that the thousands of Chabadniks that worked very hard to publicize the 120th birthday of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, despite the fact that he died already 30 years ago, and that he is Mashiach, is obviously going against the Lubavitcher Rebbe's own words. Uh, honestly, I've, I've, uh, I've uh, spoken to some of these uh, Chabadniks, and I believe that even if Moshe Rabbeinu came to them and told them who the Mashiach is, even if he told them that he is the Mashiach, they would say, no, Lubavitcher Rebbe is the Mashiach. Even if the Lubavitcher Rebbe would come back from the dead, and tell him he's not Mashiach, they say, no, no, you are Mashiach. So, uh, certain people that are simply just uh, uh, creating a new truth to such an extent that they're, uh, you can't even show them anything else. And I have, as I'm speaking to you right now, I have different people, that the same ones that have been uh, spamming me with their messages, sending me messages as I'm speaking to you guys. Why does the Rambam say in Pekeh uh, that you shouldn't take Agadah literally and call those people pathetic and tools? As any sages explained the Agadah on their hidden meaning. Of course, they, even the Gemara says you can't, you can't take every single Agadah literally. There are some that you take literally. There are some that you don't take literally. Anyone that wants to learn the pshat of the Agadot has to look at the Ma'al Shah, has to look at what the sages discuss on them, because there are certain Agadot that if you were to take them literally, you would literally make the, uh, the Torah look stupid. For example, that there was a, a bird that uh, laid an egg, and the leg, the egg uh, splattered, and the uh, yolk uh, 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 covered the entire world. Now, obviously, this is not an Agadah to take literally. This, this is, there is a parable here to be taught. Furthermore, there are certain agadot that have intentional hidden meanings in them. There are certain teachings within Judaism that intentionally have meanings within them. And there are certain uh, uh, teachings that have literal and certain teachings that have both. You have the pshat, drash, remes, sod. You have the pardes. Okay? And uh, the, the uh, chachamim talk about how a person has to learn Torah and get eventually to the point of learning sod. Because, meaning, you can't just learn the pshat and say that's it. That's the basic meaning of everything. Why? Because if you just learn the basic meaning of everything, the Torah that you're going to have is going to be very, very basic and there's going to be a lot of missing holes. A lot of missing things. A lot of things that are missing from the argument. For example, you have a, uh, a question. Somebody has asked, in one place in the Torah, it says that a child is not going to die for his father's sin. Another place in the Torah it says that a, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the opposite. So how do you explain these contradictory messages? Very simple. If you look at the basic uh, uh, meaning of it, you'll see that the, you have a contradiction. But if you start looking at it from different aspects, Abiyu talks about it also. Many sages discuss it in the Gemara. The very basic meaning is that you have a, uh, uh, one rule, is that if the child is rotten, if the child is rotten and he's a criminal, you don't kill the parents because of him. If he deserves a death penalty, it's just him. Same thing if the parent is rotten. If the parent is a criminal and you have to punish him and kill him, fine. But that doesn't mean you have to kill his kids. Now have to kill his kids. That's the very, very basic meaning. But then you go into the next layer. The next layer talks about how if the uh, uh, child, if the father is a sinner, but the child is righteous, 
child is righteous therefore that child will not be punished for the sin of his father but if the child is wicked just like his father and is continuing the sins of his father he'll be punished for both both you know he'll be double punished why because he should have learned he should have learned from his father what not to do not what to do so here you have multiple layers and there's obviously much much more but for the uh for the for the sake of time and uh it's important for us to know that it's you can't just learn the just the basics just the basics because you have pardes you have the the, the pshat the, the hinted message there you have the drash which is the behind the scenes message and then you have the secret meaning the sod now many people like to skip the first three and go right to the sod and those people end up being very very close to idol worshipers why because without the first three parts the sod is simply going to lead people to 100 percent heresy and this is not just me saying it this is the Arizal saying it this is the Gaon Mivilna saying it you can't just skip the first three and go to the mystical parts of Judaism it just doesn't work that way on the other hand a person that limits his learning intentionally limits his learning just to learn the the uh, uh the first three first three seems like a lot the Chida says that person is a is, is a period a period is a is a donkey why because he's missing the sod because once every time a person learns more another layer everything makes even more sense he starts filling in holes that he didn't even think there was a solution for it he didn't think that there was a uh, he didn't even notice the hole was so big he didn't even notice it was there until he got the answer for that hole and now it all makes more sense but then when he got another layer it makes even more sense so the more a person learns the more he's filling in the gaps and how the entire Torah becomes a spiritual nervous system that gives him sweetness for life sweetness to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, gives him the fear of the Almighty fear of, of the Almighty not just from the punishment but also from the awe of the Almighty and and also a love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a genuine love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. most people when they say I love Hashem they don't really understand what love means because they think that if they say I love you to Hashem that means that you you love Hashem loving Hashem means that all you want to do is serve Hashem that means you're looking for opportunities to learn more Torah you're looking for opportunities to pray you're looking for opportunities for every holiday for every Shabbat for every mitzvah most people they look at the Siddur and they see it's 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 a long prayer they already get discouraged uh they already think oh it's a really long prayer maybe can I skip part of it already a person that that really really does cheshbon nefesh and sees how how they fulfill the mitzvot realizes how much lackings we have realize how much lackings we have so a person has to understand that in order to truly love the master you have to learn his Torah to the fullest and until a person truly goes through layer after layer he doesn't even know what love means he doesn't even know what loving Hashem even means and you and, and you see it you see it every time it's it's pathetic that people uh, are, are taught in such a fashion where they think that if they have uh, a mantra of some kind saying I love you Hashem or whatever other mantra people are making this week that that uh, that's uh, serving Hashem to the fullest it's it's, it's nice and I wish it was uh, uh, that easy 
but uh, because less people would be going to Gehenom. But it's just simply that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There's loving Hashem means serving Him to the fullest in every mitzvah. Looking forward to prayer. Looking forward for saying Birkat Hamazon. Looking forward to doing a blessing. So uh, you're you're eating only for the sake of blessing and so on and so forth. It's a uh, and and not looking forward to doing something because you'll get a reward out of it. You know, and, and that's that's one of the things that most people, when they look at mitzvot, they look at it like an investment as far as what do I get for it now? Like a trade. Like a trade. They look at it like a, like a, like a day trade. And uh, that's uh, uh, not the right way to look at things. But if that's the only way you can get somebody to get started, that's fine. But the point is to continue learning Torah to the point where a person starts looking for ways to serve a Kadosh starts looking for ways to uh, uh, pray more, to learn more, to do more, and uh, not looking for ways to uh, get out of, uh, uh, you know, everything. So the, the key is to understand that each part of these agadot that you have in a Torah has multiple layers of teachings, and one of the most important parts that you learn from these agadot is the behavior of the sages, and also what fear of the Almighty and love of Hashem is in real life from those stories. Like how do you actually, what does real love of Hashem actually look like? What does fear of the Almighty actually look like in real life? I'll give you, I'll give you a, 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 a small examples. The Chazonish had a, a, a very, very particular way of looking at everything in order to make sure that uh, everything that he put into his mouth was 100% kosher. So he had certain things that he would enact for himself that were stringencies that he would put for himself, such as that he would never eat in the dark. He would never eat in the dark. Why? He had to look at what he's eating to make sure that there's no worms, there's no uh, 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 issues with it. Most people... They only uh, realize that they have to do a blessing after they've already swallowed. But when somebody thinks about Hashem nonstop, they have literally a rule for themselves that they're not even going to allow themselves to eat in a place that they're not looking at things clearly. Now, what does this bring somebody? It brings a person a constant state of mind where he's thinking about Hashem at all times. And a special siyat dishmaya. There was one time where the Chazunish went to visit his sister, the Rabbanit Kanievsky, uh, and uh, she gave him some food. He ate all the food except the hard-boiled egg. After he finished the food, he picked up the egg. He looked at it carefully, turned it around, inspected it, and then put it down and didn't eat it. Simply decided not to eat it. Now, we're not talking about a time where there's an, a huge abundance and you could just simply give away food and it's like today where you give your kids food and 85% of the plate is uneaten and it's no big deal. No, we're talking about a time where this poverty is running the streets. So to leave an entire egg and not eat it is a big deal. But Chazonish looked at the hard-boiled egg and decided not to eat it without opening it, without cracking it. Looked at it from the outside. Now, the Rabbanit Kanievsky knew that her brother didn't say anything. That's because he has kavod. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. But she's wondering to herself, why would her brother not eat egg? So after he left, she peeled the egg 
And to her amazement, she saw that this hard-boiled egg had a spot of blood on it. She said, look at this Yatadishmaya that my tzaddik brother has that already his holy eyes can see that there's blood inside the egg. A hard-boiled egg. We're not talking about a, uh, you know, an egg you open, you put it in a bowl, you look. and you, No, hard-boiled egg. That's a siyata dishmaya. It's a kadosh Baruch Hu protecting a tzaddik that is protecting himself. Now, when it came to Am Yisrael, the, the, the amount of love that he had to, for Am Yisrael did not stop him from rebuking them. When it came to loving them, at the end of his life, when he became very nearsighted, very nearsighted, and he didn't need glasses to read anymore. But when he would go outside, the Chazonish would put on his glasses. His Talmidim asked him, Kvodarav, why are you wearing glasses? He says, because there are people that will at times say hello to me. And if I don't see them, they'll probably get upset that I don't care about their hello. So to make sure that I see anyone that says hello to me and I can respond to them, I put on the glasses. I don't need the glasses for seeing. I need the glasses to fulfill the I love my brother. Another mitzvah in the Torah. But at the same token, when he saw that the farmers were violating Shabbat, it didn't stop him from rebuking them. When he saw people were violating Shemitah, didn't stop him from rebuking them. Same with all of the great sages. Same with all of the great sages. In fact, there's a Chag that's coming up. Lag Baomel, 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died during this time. The Gemara says that this was a period of time when the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died. Because they didn't have honor for each other. Chachamim say they didn't have honor, meaning they didn't rebuke each other. So then Chachamim say, wait a minute. Rabbi Akiva, why? He didn't rebuke them? He didn't know that they were... So no, no, surely Rabbi Akiva did not know they didn't honor each other. How do we know? Because there was one time, there was one time a... Uh, uh, one of the students, they don't mention him by name, of Rabbi Akiva, that decided to make tefillin with instead of leather, he made it the tchelet, fabric. No one said anything? Surely if Rabbi Akiva would have saw it, surely he would rebuke him and would not allow it to continue. Why? Rabbi Akiva is Kodesh Kodeshim. There's no reality where someone that has Yirat Shemaim doesn't rebuke. There's no reality such as this. Someone has Yirat Shemaim, rebukes. Why? Because he loves the Jew. And he rebukes him because he loves him. The Rebbe Mitzans, the Klosenberger Rebbe, had a multi-millionaire brought to him that was bringing a check, a multi-million dollar check in order for the Klosenberger Rebbe to build another hospital. Without thinking twice, the Rebbe rebuked this guy in front of everybody for thinking that what he's doing with all of his money giving tzedaka is going to be good for him because the money that he's using is money that he made from gambling. 
and therefore all of the money that he's making is from cheating is from from uh, uh, from going against God it's considered you you win money you're gambling it's considered stealing and in fact they'll be punished for every dollar that he donates from that gambling because that money that went to the yeshivot was impure money and therefore there was tumah tumah that was brought into the mouths that fed the mouth that ate in that yeshiva those kids those little kids they're not going to have the purity of torah because of his money they're going to have impurity because of his money and he rebuked them with these words in front of everybody of course this rich old man ran away and when the Hasidim asked the rebbe why why did you why did you do that we could have got we're supposed to get a big check from the guy the Rabbi Mitzan says to them, I'm not delusional to think that just because of what I said to him, he's going to change his life overnight and do tshuva. The point of my message was to at least help him not enjoy the sin as much. He's never going to enjoy the sin as much. Why? Because I love him much more than his money. Yeah, what about the hospital? Kadosh Baruch will bring that. There's no such reality as now rebuking. Why? Because that's the So when it comes to the Agadot, you see, you see how the sages reacted in their day-to-day life. Different stories. You also see parables that are glamorous, that have hidden meanings in them, that are part of the sod of the Torah. So the Rambam is simply telling you if you study the Torah in a sim- in one way, surely you do not understand what Torah is. If you look at Torah as black and white, this is the only way to read it, like the Christians read, the Tanakh, like heretics read, they translate everything literally, he says they're fools because the Torah is not literal. There's a lot more to the Torah. There's a lot more to the Torah. Kadosh Baruch Hu looked at the Torah and created the world from it. You think that's going to come from, from just basic meaning of everything? Come, there's a lot more to it. And there's the same thing for the written Torah. is the same thing for the oral Torah. And that's the reason why you could have tzaddikim that dedicate their lives to the Torah and go over the shas dozens if not hundreds of times some of the gdolei ado I've, I've seen numbers of how many times they completed the shots four or five hundred times they completed the shots to, to complete the shots ten percent of that completed the shots 400 times why would you read the same set of books 400 times because every single time you read it there's another layer there's another layer of discovery there's a whole new it's every time it's like brand new not because you don't remember everything that you've learned surely you remember everything you've learned just this time because of everything that i've learned i see another layer another another beauty another diamond has been has been has been found when the more a person dedicates themselves into the torah the more they're able to see the the literally the hands of a kadosh in creation inside their lives inside their own their own day-to-day and that's why anyone that looks at it literally is literally shortchanging Hashem, 
limiting Hashem, limiting his ability, calling Moshe Rabbeinu stupid. That's what, that's what, that's, that's in essence what the Gemara says on such people. It's like calling Moshe Rabbeinu stupid. If I didn't say it in the Gemara, I wouldn't be able to say such a thing. So it's, it's, it's people have to understand it. Torah is endless, but you can't go to the end and then go work backwards. Go to the sod, go to the secret part, and work your work backwards. You have to start with pshat, you know, it goes in order. And Bezot Hashem, a person grows. Good question. Uh, okay, next. Uh, thank you for your teaching us. Can't attend a mixed dancing. Thank you for teaching us. Uh, can't attend a mixed dancing simcha. Not even only staying for the chupa, which I was unaware of. How come there are great rabbis who perform the wedding ceremony here and in Israel and they leave before the dancing starts? Maybe if they refuse to perform the ceremony, it's better. Or they do not have a choice since it's better to get married under halacha rather than with the reformer conservative rabbi. It's confusing. Please explain. Uh, now, as far as why a rabbi will will uh, be a, a rabbi of a wedding uh, that is going to have mixed dancing. Um, I can't speak on his behalf. What uh, you know? What information he has that is um, causing him to make such a decision? So I don't know what's in their mind. I don't know what they know. I don't know. Maybe maybe they they are saying like what you're saying that they know this couple, and they know that this couple is so far away from the truth that if he doesn't do the wedding, they'll end up going to a reformer or conservative or even to a church. Uh, and they're afraid of that. And therefore, they say, well, you know what? I'll at least do the wedding and run away before the dancing begins. So that may be something that they are uh, rationalizing. Uh, it may be something uh, different. It may be, you know, a million and a half other things. Either way, it's a, uh, do, being a rabbi for doing the wedding and then running away is very different than somebody that's coming to a wedding and being part of it. Simply because to, uh, the, the rabbi is needed, is needed and there's a risk if he doesn't come. Whereas the person that's coming to the wedding, uh, he's not needed. There are other people coming to the wedding. So it's, it's a, there's, he, the rabbi may actually have you know, uh, he has something to rely on. He's needed and there's a risk if he doesn't come. Uh, and whereas the people that are guests, they're, they're, they don't have anything to rely on because in essence, they are trusting that their Yetzirah is simply going to allow them to just leave exactly at the right time. And we learned from the Gebarai Masechet Baba Metziah, you're not allowed to uh, uh, have such confidence that you'll beat your Yetzirah that way. So therefore, you're not allowed to go to such a place. But uh, as far as why every rabbi does what he does, that you'll have to ask them. You have to ask them. Uh, I need a Noahide community. You and the rest of the world. It doesn't really exist. There are small little gatherings here and there uh, of different people that are like-minded. Uh, but uh, quite frankly, from all of the Noahides that I know, which are Hashem, quite, quite a few, um, it's being a, uh, you know, being a Noahide is not, uh, uh, something that, uh, is, um, a community thing, meaning that, uh, it, it's impossible 
to, uh, to have a Noahide community that's kosher simply because there are too many people with their own ideas that they want to bring to the table and before you know it, they end up creating a whole new religion. To be a Noahide, you have to serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu. If a Kadosh Baruch Hu, uh, sees that uh, you need to have a, uh, a friend or, or two, he'll send them to you in one way or the other. But whether you have those friends or not doesn't really make much of a difference. You still have to serve Hashem the same. And uh, as far as having a community, uh, just think of the community you'll have once you leave this world as a righteous person. Uh, whether it's at the time of Mashiach or, uh, or a person dies beforehand. If they're righteous as a Jew, they go to heaven. If they're righteous as a non-Jew, uh, they go to heaven. Two different types of heavens, but nonetheless, heaven. So that's the best community in the world. Don't worry about the community in this world. Jeremy's asking, is it okay to plant potted plants for fruits or cactus this year? In Chutzlavitz. Yeah, there's the Shemitah is not yet. Um, can I make Shiduch between a Shomer Shabbat singles, even though I know that some of them will not cover their hair after marriage and they wear pants? They only observe basics like Shabbat, Kashrut, Tarat, Mishpacha. I do try to do Kiruv with the singles, but sometimes it's challenging. Uh, to, make, uh, to make a Shiduch between two religious Jews that are keeping, like you're saying, they're keeping Shabbat is a mitzvah. You should definitely help them uh, do it. Uh, and uh, obviously uh, try to talk to people that are serious, that you know, are actually going to get married and not act like husband and wife for two years before they become husband and wife. Uh, so if they're serious and they observe Torah, then yes. As far as what they do after they get married, that's not something that you need to speculate in. You know, perhaps today, if they got married today, they wouldn't cover their hair, but who knows how much they'll grow, uh, you know, over the next six months, over the next year, over the next couple of years. So you don't have to worry about what sins they'll make or not make. The key is, if they're Jewish, they're observing Torah and mitzvot, and there's another Jew that's observing Torah and mitzvot, then, and you can help them get married, surely it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a big mitzvah. I can tell you from experience, it is very difficult. Very difficult to get two people on the same page to get married because uh, people are very, very picky. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, and there is a, um, unfortunately, so much spiritual filth in people's minds of what they should expect from a husband or from a wife that it's almost impossible for people to look at uh, uh, anybody the right way uh, they uh, if they're not if they don't develop an immediate lust for the other person uh, then uh, you know typically they, there's no second date and uh, if they don't uh, see that this person can be of some type of uh, benefit for them in other ways, it's very hard for them to move forward. Like if a career opportunity, money opportunity, uh, status opportunity, it's very strange. People are literally like a, uh, almost, uh, I don't know, like they're, uh, they're like uh, uh, scouts for, you know, like in, in, in sports teams, they have scouts that they send to different schools to go recruit new players for the new season. And it seems like people today are acting like those scouts where they care less about 
who that person really is and what they do behind the scenes. They simply just care about if they have the statistics that they require to fulfill some role they have. So it's very hard to make shiduchim. Uh, and again, people are very, very picky. You have people breaking off shiduchim over the dumbest things in the world. If you can make a shiduch by two people, then uh, surely you'll have, uh, you have siyat dishmaya. Baruch Hashem, I've merited to do a couple of them uh, and I've tried. Uh, I hate it. I, I truly hate it. I only do it because, uh, you know, if, uh, if, if I'm the last option and, or that I simply, it's clear to me that this is the case. But sometimes, even if I see something as clear as day, I can't make the choice for people. Sometimes people are just, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not ready. They're not ready, but they don't realize it. So if you could help them, surely it's a good thing. But always remember, if they're Shomer Shabbat now, not if they're going to be Shomer Shabbat. Sometimes people think like, oh yeah, he says he'll keep Shabbat once he gets married. So it's okay. No, no, it's not okay. They have to be religious at that time. They have to be religious at that time. The, uh, you know that uh, and that's something that's important to know and as far as how much they grow in religiosity after they get married typically it becomes a little easier to grow uh, once you get married um, you know is, is to become more religious typically but you know for each don't uh, Jose is asking one question regarding of all the terrorism against uh, Am Israel is it allowed not only to eliminate them inside Eretz Yisrael, but by lachic extension, the law of war, uh, eliminate all terrorists in different countries by the hands of the government. Uh, well, no government is uh, willing to do such a thing um, simply because this is the will of Hashem. Hashem is allowing these uh, terrorists, the Machshima Vezicham, to terrorize us. Uh, it's a there's a rules in the world. Hashem said that uh, the fight between Esav and Yaakov is a fight that will last until uh, until Mashiach comes, uh, when the Mashiach will destroy Esav. Uh, and uh, there's a hatred that Esav has that's within him uh, to hate Yaakov, meaning that the uh, the goyim have for Am Yisrael. So this hatred is sometimes uh, turned off or covered by the hand of Hashem, where it's not that they don't hate us. It's just not an active hate at that moment. But when Am Yisrael makes sins, they have more homosexual uh, gay pride parades, and they have more Chilul Hashem, and they pick a, uh, 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 a guy that's not Jewish, but pretends to be a Jew because he doesn't realize that his mom that converted reform is not really Jewish, and therefore he's not Jewish, but he pretends to be a Jew with his little baby keeper on the back of his bald head, and he lies to all of the Jewish people about what he's going to do, and they make him into the prime minister, then of course this is the will of Hashem, that he's fulfilling a prophecy that the leaders will act against the people. Same thing with the, uh, the, the curse in the Torah, Parashat Kitavo, is that Hashem is going to send a nation that's going to be among us, that's going to terrorize us. But this is not going to be a stronger nation. He's just going to make them into a stronger nation. That one of them will, uh, will uh, be able to uh, scare a thousand of us, Hashem Yishmo. So now, this is the will of Hashem. Does that mean that we should do nothing? No. First thing we should do is do tshuva. That's the first thing we should do. Do tshuva. But in regards to 
the the halachic uh, uh, behavior towards a terrorist, anyone that's coming to kill you, it's a mitzvah to kill him first. But if he wants to kill you, but he's not coming to kill you right now, meaning he is sitting somewhere in Germany, in his living room, thinking of all types of ideas of how much he hates Jews. No, you don't have a permission to go into his house and kill him. But if he's already planning, he's coming to, to attack you and so on, that's a different story. So it's as far as terrorists, anyone that's coming to kill us, we have a Torah obligation to kill them first. It's not a suggestion. So the government that is making the soldiers scared to kill terrorists uh, is actually causing the terrorists to have uh, even more confidence because if you notice what happened in the last 24 hours, how upside down the, uh, the, the world is, how upside down the, uh, the government is, when it came to the, uh, um, the terrorists, some of the people that killed the terrorists, the Jews, the, the soldiers, were thrown into jail, were, uh, were uh, uh, put into uh, a court case, and, 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 and literally, the treatment that they gave, the people that are protecting the Jewish people, was terrible. On the other hand, the terrorist that killed a few people, there's a, there's a picture online that the soldiers are giving him a cigarette to smoke. The police are giving him a cigarette to smoke. He just killed a few people, he's a murderer. But they're giving this terrorist a cigarette to smoke. On the other hand, some reporter that got murdered, apparently this reporter is a terrorist to herself, that is part of a terrorist organization, at least I don't know all the details, but this is what I heard from a reliable source. Long story short, this terrorist... What did they do? The Americans condemned the people that killed this terrorist. They didn't condemn the terrorists that killed Jews in Israel, but they condemned the people that killed this uh, reporter. So the point being is, is that the world is upside down. Going and shooting people is not going to be the solution. It's not the solution. The solution is to do the will of Hashem so Hashem protects us. That's it. Hashem protect us. And uh, that's going to bring more holiness to the world. And that holiness is going to be the protection, not only for yourself, but literally for others. Abudaftaya says in the that there in his generation, uh, one of the Dibukim told him that there's literally 50 people, 50 people, 50 tzadikim in the entire generation in, 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 his, uh, in, in Baghdad that did not waste seed ever in their life. And it's because of them that the entire Jewish people and the entire world still has a right to exist. Like something unbelievable. First of all, it's unbelievable that there's only 50 people that didn't waste seed. That were older already. And the second thing that's unbelievable is that they, how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves those tzaddikim that he literally he gives the rest of the world a right to exist because of them. So from there we see that the more righteous a person is, the more they'll have an impact on the world around them. You know, many times people think, oh, if I can't help 500 people do tshuva every single day, what good is my mitzvot? No, no, you don't realize. You doing the mitzvot and perfecting your servitude of Hashem, that in itself creates a certain amount of holiness in the world that is protecting Jewish people, that is protecting the, the, the world from being destroyed altogether. 
So there's surely if somebody's doing Kiruv and helping people, it's even more Kedusha. It's the highest level of Chesed. But guns, knives, the weapons, that's the ways of the, uh, of, of, of the uh, heretics that think that their guns and their knives and their tanks are going to solve the problems. That's not our way. Our way is what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Even if you have to go to war, for every thousand soldiers that have a knife and a gun and everything in their hand, you have a thousand people learning Torah. Why? Because that gun, that knife, that tank, that, uh, that airplane, that missile is only going to be used the right way and arrive at the right destination if you have somebody that's learning Torah backing him. Not because the, the weapon is advanced and the weapon is... Uh, no. It's all because of Torah. It's all because of mitzvot. So our goal is to create more holiness in the world and that's going to be the protecting uh, for us and for the rest of Ami Slayers of Hashem. Uh, are is asking, uh, as Psalms more effective if read in Hebrew, even if we don't understand. What about Amida? Uh, what should be read in the language uh, we understand? Um, there is a uh, special significance to uh, reading the Chumash uh, in a, uh, the, uh, the language of Hebrew. Uh, it's very, very important to read it in the uh, language of Hebrew. Uh, but you have to know what you're saying, meaning that if you're just making the sound and you have no idea what you're saying, then no, you need to, uh, you need to know what you're saying. So you need to first read it and study it in a, uh, your language to the point where you're already understanding some of the Hebrew. But uh, if, uh, uh, if you're reading it in the uh, uh, language of uh, your first language, you actually understand it, that's priority. But if you could do both at the same time, like you have one side is Hebrew and one side is your language, that's, uh, that way is, uh, is, uh, is best. But if you have one option or the other, then surely your language. Same thing with Te'ilim, uh, same thing with, uh, with uh, Amida. You need to understand what you're saying. So if you have to choose only one, then your first language is priority. But the, the, the beauty of the world today is that HaKadosh Baruch made everything very easy, very accessible, very cheap. And typically it's not too difficult to get both uh, to be side by side, either in a book format or you could print something out. So you could do both. Now, as far as one thing that has uh, extraordinary value to be read in the language that it was written is the Zohar. Uh, and even if, and most likely, if the person doesn't understand what he's reading, the Zohar already, Chachamim already know it, that most people that read the Zohar, specific parts of it, are not going to understand anything. But reading uh, uh, some Zohar, some Chachamim uh, uh, were very adamant about uh, people reading a few pages of Zohar every day. I believe it's five pages of Zohar, maybe a little less of Zohar, even if they don't understand a single word. Why? Because the Zohar was given a special merit that it fixes certain sparks within the uh, certain things within the Neshama. Now, again, is this priority over learning Gemara? No. Is this priority over learning Chumash? No. Is this priority over learning Halakha? No. You have to do all the other things and if you can, add those few pages of Zohar if you can. But, uh, you know, this particular thing is again one of those things that is 
misunderstood in the world. You have people that don't even know what parasha it is this week, don't even know how to observe Yom Tov the right way, don't even understand what to check in an egg if you're about to cook it, but they decide to skip everything and go to the Zohar. So that's not, that's not what anybody ever uh, meant. It's, a person needs to know that there is the basics are the priority over everything. The basics are the priority over everything and then you add to it but as far as when you're reading certain things if you can read the prayer in uh, uh, in Hebrew and understand most of it you're good you're stay that way stay with the Hebrew but if you only know how to make sounds you don't understand anything at all then you need to study the prayer just like you study Torah just like you watch this shoe go through blessing after blessing see what this blessing means so once you read it a few times then you could go back to reading it in hebrew again because this time even though you won't necessarily know exactly which word means exactly which you'll have the basic meanings and it'll help you read it in hebrew and still understand the uh, uh the the words enough to have kavanah but to simply just purely make sounds without having any understanding whatsoever that's not the goal and that's why we have to learn every day and this is no less this isn't you know a person needs to learn uh, how to pray uh and uh such a we succeed uh so he's asking what's gula of the rashash what material is the kiddush cup on your website made of oh the school of the rashash that's actually mentioned on the website that's the school it's the whole details of it is uh is on the website the whole explanation of it um this is to looking at specific uh names of holiness uh on that cup after havdalah if you use that cup for havdalah uh it uh it gives blessings of parnasah and pretty much everything uh that's good uh for that week uh and uh it's, it's serious stuff it's not an easy uh uh skula to do but it's uh very serious gula very you know it has serious sources now the cup itself um i mean i'm not a, exactly a, a material expert but i believe the cup is made out of glass and the uh, uh but it has it's wrapped in a certain foil of some kind gold or or uh, or silver uh two different colors and it has the Shemot Kodesh, the, the, the specific names, uh, holy names on them uh, in a very, very beautiful way. Uh, and uh, it's a very nice, uh, very nice thing. And uh, everyone that's seen it has loved it. My wife, Baruch Hashem, uh, she, uh, she, she was the buyer of, the, of, of, of uh, more than a few. <laughs> she, she said it's, it's one of those things. Well, also, I'm, 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 I'm not... I'm not allowed to touch them whenever I want, even the cups. My wife likes them so much. Uh, but they're, uh, they're uh, beautiful things that, uh, you know, have, have, uh, have some uh, connection to, to, to holiness, uh, to say the least. And one of the nice things that I liked also, that may, not, may or may not mean something to people, but uh, is that you don't have to take these cups to the mikveh because they were actually uh, uh, made by Jews in Eretz Israel. And that part was already taken care of, and that's actually also written on the box that uh, you don't have to take this, uh, these cups or the uh, little uh, coaster that it's on, or plate or whatever it's on, uh, to the mikveh. 
again, I know some of you may like to go to the mikveh to dip your stuff, but uh, for, the, <laughs> for the sake of saving time, uh, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's kind of cool. All right. Um, let's see, next question. I'll try to get back to your question because I see some other people ask questions that haven't answered them. Uh, okay, Joshua is asking, is someone allowed to go to a wedding within the year of their parents passing away? Uh, no. No. What's the best method for timing of giving masel? If someone's earning fluctuates throughout the year, also, should Marcel be calculated after household expenses and not allowed to uh, deduct any expenses? Um, the way that I do it, uh, I think is the best way, not because I do it, but rather because I've seen it to be the most effective uh, and uh, the, the best way to deal with the Yetzirah. Now, when a person thinks theoretically that uh, if they give, let's say, for example, they make, I don't know, let's say they make 500 bucks a week. Okay, so if they give Marcel, it's $50, and they figure, what's $50 going to do for this, you know, kolel? What's $50 going to do for the rabbi? What's $50 going to do for, you know, let me wait until I uh, work, uh, you know, six months. I'll collect all of the $50 and then give everything together, and then you have, you know, a nice, uh, a nice piece of, uh, nice, nice investment. You have a few thousand dollars. That's theoretically how it works, but it doesn't work that way. Why? Because to give $50 is much easier than to give a few thousand dollars. And the same thing goes if somebody makes, let's say, uh, they, they work off of, let's say, commissions or they own a company and they calculate things once a month. Okay, they calculate things once a month and uh, at the end of the month or whatever it is, they see, okay, let's say they made uh, $10,000. Okay, now they say, oh, $10,000, write a check for a thousand bucks, you know, give it to tour organization. It's nice, but it's much nicer if I could just donate $12,000 at the end of the year. Why? Because if I give $12,000, then the, 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 the rabbi could really do something with it, or the shul can really do something with it, or the poor people can really do something with it, because it's going to be significant. But if I give them a thousand bucks, it's, you know, what are they going to do? That's theoretically. Reality is, don't do that. What you should do is you should give the way I do it. As soon as I get money in my hand from anything, I give myself. Okay. Now there are two different types of money. Okay. That the way I look at it is that uh, I have digital money and there's you know physical money. If somebody gives me physical money, let's say for example I have a lecture. Okay. Sometimes at the lecture people put staka in the box, or sometimes they give it to me in, uh, you know myself. And, you know, I go home and I have whatever I have immediately before I put it in, 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 in any drawer or any closet or any account or anything. Before I do anything, I count exactly what's there. I take out 20% out of it. I put it in my stocker box. I've got a big blue stocker box and I put it in there. Why? Because that money is not mine until I took out 20%. Now, I choose to give 20%, but, you know, you could start with 10 if you're not, uh, if you're just starting out. Either way, it's good. 10%. Gaumi Vilna says 10%. When a person gives 10%, the money will be protected. They won't lose their money. If uh, they give 20%, 
they'll be uh, rich. Shem will give them rich and uh, well, uh, will give them wealth during their lifetime. Uh, so the uh, but it's a very big test. Why? Because there's like you said, income fluctuates. One time you have this, another time you have that. So uh, so the 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 real money I give right away. Digital money, on the other hand, it's I typically give only once a month, the same exact date every month. I calculate what I got and I send it to the uh, uh, to to the avrech. Uh, you know, B'nai Torah, and I give my uh, my homage that way. Calculate what digital money was sent to me on this one, on whatever it is, PayPal, Venmo, whatever I did, and I send the money, the 20% from that, on the same exact date every single month, uh, no matter who, what, when, and how. Now, this is the way I do it, because the, uh, 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 rather than doing it as soon as I get the money, with digitally, for two reasons. Number one, uh, it's gonna take my whole day. If, if I get, if let's say a few people uh, send money, if I have to constantly calculate to give uh, to give maaser and then send it and so on, it's gonna take up a lot of time. Number two, I don't look at money the whole month, so I don't look uh, like at my bank account every day or 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 I don't know. Some people look at their stock portfolios or they look at what they got, what they don't got, what they owe. I don't look at anything. I look at everything once once a, a, a month. So even the, the organization, like as far as like donations and stuff like that, I have no idea what people donated, like how much money we, we, we collected for the month or anything until the end of the month. All I know is a couple times I, uh, 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 every week I have to pay bills, I have to pay this, I have to pay salaries, I have to pay vendors, I have to pay all types of things. So paying doesn't require me to look at balance and what's coming in or anything else. As far as what came in, and uh, things like that, I only look at it once a month just to know where things stand. And the same goes with my own personal stuff. I only look at things once a month. And the only reason I look is because I need to, you know, write a check to go pay my rent uh, and so on. So I don't need to calculate the maser every single day. I, uh, and be afraid that I won't give it because it's a bigger amount or a smaller amount because I don't even know what I have until it's after the fact. It's after the fact. So... You know, whereas with physical money, physical money, it's uh, sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a uh, bigger yetzalah, so the, uh, a person should give it as soon as they have it. Digital money, if you look at your accounts on a regular basis, perhaps you want to do it every time you get the money. So for me, I consider it as if I only get money once a month and I give money once a month because I only look at it once a month. But if somebody doesn't necessarily operate that way, they're one of these people where they look at their accounts on a regular basis. They get paid, let's say, I don't know, every two weeks. They get a paycheck every two weeks. And uh, then my suggestion is to give money as soon as you get paid. Because you know where, what, you know, you're a lot more active when it comes to that. You should give money as soon as, as soon as it's made. Now, as far as what expenses to deduct from it and what expenses not to deduct from it, my suggestion is not to deduct anything. You have money, write the check from that money. That's my suggestion. You don't have to listen to that suggestion. There are certain things that you're allowed to, 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 to deduct. Okay, you're allowed to deduct. Uh, uh, but it's, so you, generally, it's the cost of doing business. Meaning, if you, let's say, for example, you sold a car for $10,000. Obviously, the car cost you something. Let's say the car cost you $8,000. So, the real profit there is $2,000. You didn't make $10,000. You have $10,000 in revenues. So that $2,000 profit, 
take the uh, maaser from that that two thousand dollars why because it actually cost you eight thousand dollars to make that two thousand dollar profit so therefore you write the maaser you deduct that cost but people that start deducting their rent and then they deduct their uh, i don't know uh their food and their gas money and all this other stuff i mean it's it's not uh, i don't think it's the right approach uh from what i've learned and from what i've seen and quite frankly when you make it so complicated to uh to uh you know to to calculate myself it just adds to the yetzara and decreases from the emuna now you're gonna say wait but if i calculate from the gross you know and it's not uh again if it's obvious like for example like i just the example i just gave you like the cost of the car is eight thousand and you sold it for ten thousand that's an obvious cost you could deduct without a problem even using my shita but if it's like other things like your rent and your electric and your water bill and your shoes and the lunch and the gas and your friend's lunch you know once you start deducting all these different things before you know it you're not gonna have anything any money left to, to actually give myself that's what Ramavadya said so the the uh, ideal is is to give uh the uh gross profit from the gross profit to give from there the masel that's the, the the ideal if you start talking about net profit after deducting everything else usually you're not going to have much left to give masel uh but also you know it's 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 a much bigger test because it's a larger amount of money every single month so yes there are months and Baruch Hashem, those months happen often where I have a certain amount of money that I got I before I pay my my rent I already take out the the, the homish out of it I take out that shit that just happened this past month this past month uh, so I just paid the bills you know, like a week ago so this past month I uh I did the calculation I took out the money for the homish sent it Baruch Hashem for the Torah after that I realized oh wait a minute oh look at that Baruch Hashem I didn't even have money to pay rent now nah, Baruch Hashem don't have to worry according to what I got I didn't have enough money to pay rent the, the, the money after I paid the Chomesh was not enough money to pay rent meaning that I lost money in so many words but I didn't lose any money why because like those who gave me extra the month before and this and that and all Hashem there's plenty and we have everything we need but the way it calculated on a real-time basis that had I not paid the Chomesh I would have had more than enough to pay the rent but because I paid the Chomesh I didn't have enough money to pay the rent but that's only how the Yetzirah comes why because sometimes I have more than enough less than enough but at the end there's always plenty so that's just different tests those are different tests and I love those tests as hard as they are because it helps me connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. it helps me work on myself it helps me get a reality check that everything comes from Hashem so that's why the suggestion is to not do so many calculations simply you have a gross amount that you got if there's no real cost of doing business like an actual product cost simply take the percentage that you decide whether it's 10 or 20 percent from that amount and send it out right away to Torah without waiting without doing anything as soon as you know this is where it's at send it out as soon as possible that is something that Baruch Hashem have been doing for years already and Ishtabach Shimon La'ad uh, a lot of uh, things have, uh, have have changed in our lives in a very very positive way I can tell you that from a personal basis there was uh, times where we literally uh, uh, had no idea how we're gonna close the month how we're gonna close the week 
But HaKadosh Baruch always made it so. But today, Baruch Hashem, we live with uh, everything that we could possibly ever want. HaKadosh uh, uh, Baruch Hu has given, I've seen the blessing. I've seen the blessing for my own life. And I know some of the naysayers, the Rashaim, the wicked people, they think that I'm becoming a millionaire by taking uh, the, the organization's money. Little do they know, I don't even take a salary from the organization. It's a, uh, it's mamash, we live off of a miracle. But yet, we have everything that we need and more than we need. So why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises certain things. You have to get tested from time to time. You have to pass the test. You have to do everything you can. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu does what he does. But uh, if a person starts overanalyzing things, uh, they, they ruin the blessing. They ruin the blessing. So the two big suggestions is the... Uh, uh, the, uh, the timing of things, and I think the uh, the way to give. I think that's the two biggest. But whatever you got out of it, hopefully, is going to help you in your life, Bezalel Hashem, and everybody else. Uh, does adopting children fulfill the mitzvah of procreation? No. Um, uh, we have a blessing for refuah lema, parnasah, and strength to defeat Yitzhak. May all of you. Uh, Matt's asking question is it allowed to take decisions by asking Hashem a question then randomly open the Torah to get answers which is the best country to go in or oh, second question to go and convert uh, oh so there is a uh, um, there is a sgula by uh, by the Gaon Mivilna, uh, where you, uh, if you have a certain question, it's a very big question, that a person can do certain things and then open a certain place in the Torah and uh, know exactly what the answer is from Shemaim. But it's not as simple as people think, where you could just open the Tanakh wherever you want, and whatever the verse is, is that. No, no, there's a whole preparation process to it, uh, that you need to do it's fasting and uh, certain prayers and then after that it's actually knowing which verse so there is no simple ver- uh, system of just opening the Tanakh and uh, thinking that the first verse is what Hashem is saying no it's not the, the, there is a process but it's not as simple as as just opening the book whenever you feel like it regardless of what question and that's the answer no no, there is not only that. There is a process, but it's much more complicated than that. Uh, and uh, the tzaddikim that use it only use it rarely because of, of how difficult the preparation is. I've seen it happen. I've seen it in my own eyes. It's a, uh, it's, it's not an easy process. Hence the reason that even the gdoleado that have used it only used it rarely, rarely. Uh, it's like uh, the urim uh, vetumim of this generation. And the previous generations uh, were not used, probably, the, the women told me at the time of the Bet Mikdash. They were not used on a regular basis. They were only used at specific times uh, to go to war or not. But uh, the, uh, this uh, uh, um, uh, this skula, or whatever you want to call it, of the Gaon of the Vilna, is, it works. I've seen it work, but it's not something that you use regularly. And... There's a preparation process. Uh, Michael's asking, how should we celebrate or what should we do on Pesach Shani since we already observe Pesach proper? No, I mean, it's not a, uh, you don't have a, 
obligations to do the same thing as you did in the first one. I mean, you could have, I think, uh, uh, dinner with the family, and you know, but there's no like a specific alachot uh, that uh, obligations for Pesach uh, Shani and this generation. So. Uh, Alan's asking, we built the pyramids. Who built the pyramids in Egypt? Who built the pyramids in Egypt? Who else would it be other than Amisled? Not really understanding. Who else who, who else would it be? Aliens? Like the TV show say? Amisled, people. Amisled was slaves in, in, in Egypt for 210 years. What's, uh, who, who, who do people think actually built them? Um, I heard that a person who does the sin of Pgamabuit can do a tikkun by studying Torah intensely because what created the soul is the thought and if someone is poor could someone use tikkun instead of money um, if someone is poor then it doesn't matter what the answer is if someone is poor and they don't have any money, that means that they don't have the ability to do a tikkun with money. So it's a irrelevant, irrelevant circumstance. Either way, they have to learn to love whether they're poor or rich. Um, and if they're if they have money, then they could also learn to love and give money. But if they're poor and they don't have money, then the tikkun of money is irrelevant for them anyway. So what's the point? Now, the truth is that you need more than just learning Torah uh, to completely do a tikkun. Um, but it's, a, uh, it's not necessarily uh, something that he has to do on day one. He can do whatever he can do now and continue. And if Hashem opens up the gates of heaven for him to do more, uh, in the future, then he'll do more in the future. Uh, how long should you recite Tikkuna Klali? How long should you recite Tikkuna Klali? Until you start doing real tshuva. The whole point of Tikkuna Klali is to inspire a person to do real tshuva and stop the actual sin. Tikkuna Klali is not actual tshuva. Tikkuna Klali is to inspire the soul to do tshuva. Daniel's asking, are there people in this world that didn't come to do tikkunim, but instead came as background actors, so to speak? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, it's an interesting question. Yes and no. The uh, reason why I say yes and no is because uh, your definition of people. When you say people, uh, that you probably mean like you, like me, like like people that actually have a mission in the world it's to, to believe in God, to serve God, and so on. If that's what you mean, people that actually have a soul, uh, then no, there's no such thing. All of them came to this world to do tikkunim, to fix something, to serve Hashem, uh, to fix mistakes that they've made in the past, and so on. But if you're referring to uh, a, a people that are don't actually have a soul that are a uh, um, that are uh, uh, how do I say this uh, demons that are not real they're not people that uh, are uh, uh, they're demons 
then then those people are uh, they're not background actors but they are uh, they don't have they're not here to do a tikkun they're here to be used as uh, different tools in the world and the Gemara says that there is uh, three you know multiple different types uh, some that are demons that are completely spiritual some that are part man part spiritual and some that are look like men and uh, they uh, um, procreate and eat but surely they you know they're not people that you know learn Torah and do mitzvot uh, so there are certain people like that uh, but this is not something that's really relevant to your day-to-day life it's just simply mentally stimulating I would say uh, generally speaking the people around you are uh, you know here to do a tikkun but it's not just the people it's everything that's around you uh, if you actually were able to see with spiritual eyes uh, you will see you would actually see the souls and everything and you would see that it's very likely that the apple that you have in the room has a soul in it not all the time but sometimes and sometimes the bird that's outside the six birds sometimes two three four of them have souls of people in them sometimes the wall has it sometimes the rock has it sometimes a uh, different things have it uh, and uh, in uh, the the Dibukim are telling different things that are in the room with him that uh, are being reincarnated as different things in one particular example there's a woman that had to be reincarnated to do a tikkun uh, because she didn't uh, cover her hair uh you know uh, properly not a whole life just uh, a one-time occurrence where she uh, took off her kisurosh outside in front of people uh, so she could fix it but it was in front of people that was not a husband and for that yes she had to re- be reincarnated uh to do a tikkun in something uh that wasn't uh you know uh human so there are things everywhere there are creatures everywhere there are creations of Akadosh Baruch Hu everywhere but uh you know there are also uh you know there's also our job which is really the priority we should have next did you notice that lately every week another Chabad house is burning down is that a coincidence there is no such thing as a coincidence but I did not notice that every week a Chabad house is burning down no last question uh is it allowed to learn Musar at night what's the deal with not reading Tehilim at night and Tanakh and why is it not good to do such things especially since it's Talmud Torah ah okay so the the Talmud Torah and reading Tehilim or reading Tanakh are two different things Talmud Torah means to study Torah when Chachamim said reading Tehilim or reading the Chumas that is just simply reviewing things just to look at things just to read it superficially and that is uh, there are specific times during the day that it's encouraged not to do it but that's only with the writings of the Torah not all of Torah so let's let's break it all down first we'll start off with what is a uh, uh, not allowed or not recommended uh, and why so the writings of the Torah such as the Chumash uh, or like uh, things like Tehilim should not be read at uh, from the time of Arvit until Chatzot but 
here I'm referring only to reading it superficially, not reading it for the sake of studying it and looking at commentaries and trying to understand a deeper meaning. No, I'm just talking about reading superficially. That, it's not recommended to doing it uh, during that time between Arvit and Chatzot. Chatzot is the middle of the night. You know, right now I think Chatzot in, in where I am is around 1 a.m., but it changes during the year. Uh, but either way, it's a, um, a person needs to uh, uh, know that this is a time, this window of time between Arvit uh, to Chatzot is a time where the mazikim, the spirits uh, the, uh, uh, the, of, of impurity are, uh, have extra strength. And uh, this would um, taunt them. Let's just say that. Reading this superficially would taunt them and it can bring damage to a person. It could be, it's like, for example, you have a, uh, a pit bull walking around or he's, uh, you know, and, and you're just slapping him in the face a few times. So, yeah, he may not do anything or he may bite you. Okay, so it's a, uh, it's, it's, so, but that is only if you're reading it superficially. What about the rest of Torah? The rest of Torah, such as Musal, such as a uh, Alakha, such as Gemara, there is no such thing as reading it superficially. It's even if you're not re- uh, studying it deeply, you're still the, the nature of the text is is is, is studious is 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 for the p- purpose of scholarship. It's not telling you stories uh, of of uh, A, B, and C. It's telling you certain things that you could easily connect. Uh, 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 to your life and uh, to, to the world naturally without necessarily even requiring always a lot of effort. So Gemara, Alakha, uh, Musa is something you can do 24 hours a day throughout, uh, uh, throughout the majority of the year. Musa, you can do the whole year including on Tisha B'Av. Whereas the other parts, uh, Tisha B'Av, you're forbidden from doing it. Now, as far as studying studying the Chumash or Teilim or, or Tanakh, that you can do 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day you can do it. Because studying the Chumash, reading the commentary, the Midrashim, the, uh, the, the, the inner meanings behind things, the halachot that are connecting to it, that's studying Torah. So that is something you can do 24 hours a day. But the, uh, 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 if you're just reading superficially, for example, if somebody is a, uh, uh, just, you know, likes to read the weekly parasha, uh, just like it's a storybook, don't do it during that time window. But if you're wanting to study the parasha, that you can do whenever you want. Next thing is in regards to reading Teilim. Reading Teilim, typically when people read Teilim, it's either because they've put it at it as a like sort of a zgula to add to their life, to connect to Hashem, to another form of prayer to Hashem, or it's a time of problems where they're in essence uh, uh, pleading with Hashem to help them at that particular time. Sometimes people do both. Sometimes they have a certain set of teilim they read every single day, such as there's a sedel, there's a certain uh, way that you can read teilim every day and finish the entire book of teilim once a week. There are also ways you can finish the whole thing once a day, but most people can't do once a day, but you could, everybody could do once a week. Simply, you're averaging about 20 tailing per week, uh, per day, 
uh, you know, half hour a day, you could finish the whole Tehillim once a week. There's a period of time, Baruch Hashem, years ago, that I used to do that and uh, read a lot of Tehillim. So, uh, especially when I was still in New York, I used to read a f- lot of Tehillim after prayers, and it's very, very good for your neshama. But the, uh, uh, something like Tehillim, if you're reading it as part of your daily order, do it during the day. If you're reading it as something bad happened or you need Hashem to help you at this moment, okay, that you could do anytime. For example, if there's somebody in the hospital or there's an issue of pikuach nefesh or there's some type of trouble, that you could do anytime, including that window of time where it says don't do it. Why? Because you're at a time of need, everything, all bets are off. Now, what about a person that if they don't read Tehillim or they don't read uh, the Chumash superficially, instead they're going to end up watching TV or they're going to end up playing cards or they're going to end up uh, wasting time. Then those people, they should read Tehillim, you know, or Chumash and whatever they need to do, just don't do the nonsense. So if a person can do something, either read Tehillim or, or uh, which is Psalms, or Chumash superficially during that window of time, or study Musar, watch one of our lectures, study Gemara, then surely the latter is better. The lecture, the Gemara, the Halakha, uh, that's better than to read the Chumash at that time. But if he's studying, if he's studying, he can study at any time. But if he's not going to study, and he doesn't want to read the Gemara, and he's either going to read Tehillim, or he's going to waste time, then he should read Tehillim and don't worry about it. Because if he reads Tehillim, he may annoy the, uh, the Mezikim. But if he doesn't read Tehillim, uh, and he ends up going to watch TV, he's going to create Mezikim. And that's much, much worse. So uh, that's the complete order uh, and priority list, I believe, to the question. Uh, okay, last question. Uh, how can a Noahide find another Noahide to marry her? What do you recommend that a Noahide uh, on how to find someone? You have to find somebody that's a like-minded person. Uh, typically, uh, there's going to be things that uh, you have in common. Either you list, you you are I don't know either part of the same community or uh, you're uh, you go to the same uh, lectures. Uh, honestly, more than anything else, pray about it. Pray that Hakadosh Baruch Hu sends you somebody that's a decent human being. Uh, and sometimes you uh, have people that are decent human beings, but they just don't necessarily, they're not exactly there where you want them to be. Uh, sometimes you have to work on them, but there's no like uh, foolproof system that this works and uh, that's it. You know, so it's a, uh, uh, you need, need a little more than that. Uh, okay, going back to one of these questions, I think I told you I'll bring it back to you. Okay, here we go. What book in English would you recommend to me to send as a gift to my newlywed cousin? She's completely secular. She really does not know how much Judaism, uh, much about Judaism. I was hoping she would be inspired to do tshuva. Uh, A person that is not um, familiar with Judaism at all, unless they're an avid reader, I wouldn't send them a book. If they're an avid reader, they read books already, then yes, yeah, send them a book. You could send them, uh, depending on the language. Uh, if it's English, 
You could send him uh, the uh, the book by Rabbi Mizrahi. You could send him the book by uh, of um, uh, Nisim Yagen. Uh, you could send him the book uh, by Rabbi Zamir Cohen, The Coming Revolution. It depends on the person. Depends on the person if they're if they're uh, uh, scientific minded, philosophical, uh, but also again they need to be a reader. Like people just give people books. Uh, assuming they'll read it, but if the guy never read a book in his life, it's usually not the best way to uh, to get them to start doing tshuva. Usually, it's better to send them a video uh, or give them a USB of some kind they can listen to because that's more in line with what they're already doing. You know, pretty much everybody's watching videos of some kind uh, or listening to something of some kind, music, whatever. They're listening to watching something, uh, so it may not be them watching Torah, but surely they're watching something or somebody. So if you give them a video, uh, it's, it's usually better than giving them a book unless they're a reader. Unless you know for sure that this person actually reads on a regular basis. They make time, you know, each day or, or you know, to, to, to read. Uh, then, yeah, give them a book. Uh, but it depends on the person. It depends on the person. If they're young, if they're old. Uh, my, you know, one of the things that I give people is, uh, is a, a Kiruv package that has several different types of books and so on but i don't recommend people send these cube packages to just anybody whenever like it has to be somebody that's interested already just doesn't know needs the information but he's interested or she's interested and the reason why is because if somebody's not interested at all then the uh when they get so much so many books and so many things it becomes almost overwhelming like it's just so much stuff they end up just putting it in some closet it's like people that buy, uh, you know, these, these get-rich-quick schemes uh, on the internet and, uh, you know, they, they, they buy this stuff, they get a package and, uh, uh, you know, you get, I don't know, five, ten books and 15 CDs and you just spent $500 on this thing and what ends up happening? Nine out of ten people just put it in a closet and never look at it past the first two pages. Why? It's just so much stuff. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So when is it good to send that cue package? After somebody's already interested because they've watched several videos, they've added it to, the, to their daily life, and they want more. So if the person hasn't gone to that point, then I would recommend going with a video before a book unless they are an avid reader already. They read all types of books, self-help books, and, and, and uh, I don't know, philosophical books and scientific books. And they're a reader. Uh, read books about the market. So they're a reader. So you could connect to them something that's relevant to them. But if they're not a reader, I would recommend a video. Okay, Rabotai Karim. I think we went over, Baruch Hashem, a lot more than typical. But Baruch Hashem was good. I got a chizuk out of it. Uh, um, uh, for those of you that are thinking in the back of the mind, what else is there in Kafakela and... The details that I'm, uh, that I'm contemplating doing a uh, shiur about it. We've talked about it before, but there's a lot of new chidushim. New chidushim that uh, we got recently that uh, we're contemplating doing something about. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be some more time. There's some more material to review. Uh, but either way, uh, just know when you're going with the Torah, surely you're going in the right direction, despite the test, the obstacles. Uh, and, and all the people that are telling you to turn around and go a different way, don't listen to any of them. Only listen to Hashem, go straight, you'll succeed, you'll have a fantastic life, and all of those fools will end up 
uh, either joining you and asking you for a blessing so, so you could help them, or they'll simply be left behind and uh, end up uh, losing everything as a result of it. Uh, as, as far as the, the journey, is not easy. It was never meant to be easy. But it works. Eventually the salvation comes. Eventually Moshe Rabbeinu was given the ability to take Am Yisrael out of Egypt. The tribe of Ephraim wanted to make their own rules. The blasphemer wanted to make his own rules. Shlomit wanted to make our own rules. All types of people want to make their own rules. Those people simply bring damage to them as well as the people that follow them. Don't be one of those people. Follow Hashem. Follow His holy sages. Follow with the words of Torah. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bless each and every single one of you with bracha, with atzlacha, with parnasah, b'shefa, with the ability to give chomesh, to help us uh, build this organization to be able to reach every single corner in the world. For every single person that wants the truth and is looking for a source. Looking for the truth so they could change their lives, so they could serve Hashem to the maximum. Them and Bezod Hashem, us as well. Bauch Adonai Amen ve'amen.